When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Frank. Uh, and we begin this particular program as we do each and every Friday morning. Well, we begin with giving you the opportunity to ask questions about everything and anything. Anything that I am capable of answering a question about, I will do my best to answer. Now, it, well, let me clue you in. It does you no good to ask me a question about nuclear physics because I can't answer it. A spoiler alert. It will do you no good to ask me a question about the Boer War because I probably can't answer many questions about the Boer War. But if you have a question about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, you need advice about something. My personal history is something you're curious about. My Pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, restaurants, New York, uh, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, or just about any other subject. I am going to do my best to answer those questions because it is time for The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. <laughs> That's right. You know the rules. And uh, if anybody asks, uh, whoever asks the most interesting question, um, we are going to give you a complimentary piece of WABC slash the other side of midnight merchandise. Uh, The best question will be selected by Matt Avery Brooks, our telephone talent coordinator for the day. And Alex Barnard, who is uh, helping us out as well today. So we have a good crew uh, with us today, uh, although we are going to miss Philippe, who I'm told is on assignment for today. All right, 800-848-9222. If you have questions, I'm ready for you. The, uh, let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. Hello, Pete. How are you? Hi, hi Frank. Uh, between Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty, can only take two to Atlantic City with you as a guest? Who would it be? Let's see. Kirk? Uh, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. Um, I have to think I'm taking I'm taking Spock because he would probably be pretty handy when it came to playing blackjack and calculating the odds at craps. And I, I think I'm taking. Uh, look, I love Kirk, but I think I'm taking Scotty because I think he'd be the most fun to drink whiskey with. Same choices for me too. I uh, see that we're kindred. 
We're kindred <laughs> spirits. Thank you, Pete. 800-848-WABC. One, two, three. Open lines if you want to jump on board. 1-800-848-9222. Uh, I got one question here via email from a gentleman who prefers to remain anonymous. He asks the question, uh, and this is actually a very good question. He says, since it didn't seem to pique your interest as a discussion topic, I resubmit this as an Ask Frank Anything question. Question, why should I have to pay for the workers and equipment to run a Democrat primary when non-Democrats are not allowed to participate in the vote? Um, I have talked about this for years, literally years. In fact, about 19 years. And I don't think you should. Honestly, I think one of two things, if I as a taxpayer, and I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, but yet I as a taxpayer, and I'm paying a ton of money in taxes, uh, I as a taxpayer have to foot the bill for the Democrats and the Republicans to have their primary, I should be able to participate. So either one of two things should happen. Either I get to participate, and the primaries need to be open to everybody, or those primaries should be privately funded affairs or if you don't want to do it in a primary form do it in a caucus form or however you want to privately choose your candidates do it so that i don't have to pay for it but i agree i don't think taxpayers should have to foot the bill for primaries that not all the taxpayers are able to participate in i think it's outrageous and it's one of the many reasons that i'm for nonpartisan elections i have no problem with some, with uh, a private group calling themselves Democrats or Republicans or communists or greens or libertarians saying, yeah, our guy is Matt Blaze, but I don't want to foot the bill for your candidate selection process. I'm for nonpartisan elections. Have all the candidates run, have all the candidates campaign and um, say they're whatever they are. But it's I don't think the the parties should be these quasi-governmental agencies, which they are now. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Russell is in White Plains. Hello, Russell. Hey, Frank. I hate to harp on the same thing, but can you tell me, how do you determine a gotcha question from a relevant inquiry that reflects on the accuracy of the person? And, and, you know, that means Scott Ritter. And I'll tell you why, because I knew about what you were asking him, but when you brought it up, I went on the Google, I looked at it, it really is seedy, and I just wonder, did I need to know that? I mean, I had a hazy idea, so I'd just like to know, how do you determine a gotcha question from a relevant inquiry? Thanks, uh, Frank. Uh, well, thank you, Russell. A uh, couple, couple things. One, I think the fact that you've now brought this up for the third time, you've now brought more attention to Scott Ritter's arrest um, for sex crimes than I have. I didn't even mention he was arrested for sex crimes. I said he was arrested and went to prison. And then when a caller called in a little later and asked what he was arrested for, I said, yeah, he was arrested for uh, attempting to have sex with a minor or whatever the charge was. Now, um, you've now brought this up a third time. And if anybody didn't know that Scott Ritter was was arrested for a sex crime, now they do. How do I determine it? It totally depends on the circumstance. What I do is, look, I thought Scott Ritter made some interesting points. I thought he made some good points when we were discussing Russia and Ukraine and the like. And um, my concern was that everything that he said was going to be totally brushed off because of his conviction. So – I was trying to anticipate what the listener reaction would be to that. And I could see a lot of listeners saying, hey, uh, you're a sexual predator. Why should we take anything you say seriously? You're a convicted felon. Why should we take anything you say seriously? So I I wanted to just give him an opportunity to address it. That's it. Simple as that. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just kind of my 
belief as to what listeners are going to want to hear about. Robert is in Queens. Hello, Robert. Hey, Frank. Hey, on. I got, you know, my question to you is about going to Atlantic City with the, with the Star Trek cast. Why wouldn't you take Aurora with you and take about five or six grand out? You walk around with a gorgeous, <laughs> beautiful woman. Well, I mean, for, what's the story? First of all, I don't Are have... Yeah, first of all, I don't have the five or six grand. Uh, second... Uhura wasn't offered as one of the choices from the caller. If if Uhura was r- offered as one of the choices, believe me, I'm taking Uhura anywhere, anywhere, including I mean, you. Gotta, you got to think outside the box, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you do indeed. Thank you, Robert. 800-848-9222. Michael is in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah, if you're interviewing someone and you see that the person you're interviewing is a is an, a real knucklehead because everything you ask them, I don't know, I'm not sure, I have no idea. In your opinion, wouldn't you be better off terminating the interview because the person is an imbecile, or or do you think it's better to continue the imbecile? The well, I guess it depends on the circumstance, right? I mean, but if the reason I'm asking is mm-hmm. because you interviewed that guy who was supposed to be an expert on Disney. And he was a moron. He, he didn't answer one question. I mean, you were trying your best, but every time you asked him a question, I don't know, I don't know, I don't... I said to myself, I think you've been better off ending the interview because he was such an idiot. Well, maybe you thought it would be better to continue. I, I don't know what's the right answer. Well, you know, I, I, again, I'm sorry you didn't think it was a good interview, Michael. I, I didn't think he was a moron. Uh, I thought he was pretty interesting. I thought he did the best he could to uh, answer questions about how he's feeling on certain subjects. I mean... Uh, I I didn't think he was a moron. If there have been interviews that I've either produced or been uh, the interviewer in where uh, the I wasn't getting much out of the other person, and I, I do end it. I, I didn't feel that way with uh, Mouspiration Mike personally. But, you know, look, I guess talk radio, like a lot of subjects, talk radio is subjective. So uh, maybe maybe you felt differently. I'm sorry you didn't like it. 800-848-9222. Corey's in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hey, Frank, I'm actually in North Carolina. Oh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm doing a little tour of the South. Um, uh, wanted to ask you, uh, at what point, what, uh, how much do you have to win uh, in gambling to, do you have to declare this on taxes? Well. And uh, what have you? Yeah, well, so the the way, again, I'm not a tax expert, and I'd, con- I'd encourage you to consult with right. your, your tax preparer or your accountant. But my understanding is you have to declare all gambling winnings. Now, you only have to declare winnings ag- you know, against losses, right? So let's say you, you um, win $1,000 on one casino trip, and then you go the next month and you lose 900 bucks, and those are your only two casino trips for the year. You only have to claim on your taxes $100. Now, the question is, is how is the IRS going to know that if you don't claim your $100? Now, I'm not com- encouraging anyone to commit tax evasion, but how are you going to know that? Now, the way it works in Atlantic City, I don't know how it works in other jurisdictions, but if you win $1,200 or more, maybe it's 1300 now, but I think it's 1200 If you win $1,200 or more at a, at a slot machine, they give you a 1099, and they report that. To the IRS. So you better be sure that you report that 1099 income to the IRS. But look, if you go to Atlantic City as much as I do, although last year I had a good year, but most years I don't have a net win. Uh, usually it's offset by losses. Okay. Uh, one more quick question. So mm-hmm. I did go in with uh, 
two. I went into Hard Rock. I got them for two one night, and then the two grand. The next night, I went back and I said, "Let me give it a shot." And then uh, left with seven thousand. And they asked me wow. for uh, my uh, my social. Now, is that normal? You know, I, I again, I don't know. I've never won that much. Have you ever had? That? I've, I've okay. never won that much. No one's ever asked me for my uh, social, except one time I got a ten ninety nine for a big slot win that I had. My advice, Corey, is to whatever your net winnings are for the year. If you have net winnings, that's what you should claim. Uh, I don't think anybody should be evading taxes. Here's an email question from uh, a listener. Uh, two questions. One, ha- how are you or Matt Blaze able to bring the comedic clips or sound effects so quickly? That's all Matt Blaze. I have nothing to do with that. I'll let him answer that. I wish I had more control over the sound effects. You know, at a pri- prior radio station, I got to run my own board. I actually really prefer that. But uh, I'll, I'll let Matt Blaze answer that question. There how are a you- ton of sound effect clips. There's a page on the computer that has all the clips. And I go through the pages, and there's we have I don't know four, five pages now that have a hundred clips a piece or something like that, something like that. And I just we just play them. All right, well, whatever the subject matter is, and I stick them in there. They, there you go, and just sticks it. them in there, Ellen. He's got like a, a sixth sense. A second question, Ellen asks, is Have you ever gotten sick while on the air to the point of not being able? To continue, uh, no, no, I haven't. I there are two, you know, w- that day that I came in with laryngitis, I um, I I thought that I was not going to be able to continue, and that's why I was really glad that Rita and Dominic were here for the first hour because I honestly I didn't have to do that much talking for that first hour, and I had guests booked for the rest of the show, so I got to speak slowly and sort of conserve my voice. Um, there was one time, maybe this was four years ago where I was really not feeling well, really not sick. And this is when I was doing Sunday mornings, 4 a.m. to 8.30. And um, I said to my wife, my wife, we were not married at the time, but I, I believe we were living with one another. I said, uh, to, you know, she said, oh, do you have any guest book for tomorrow? I said, no, I haven't been able to even work on the show. I'm so I'm so sick. And she said, well, I mean, I mean, that's pretty brave for you to have no voice and no guests for four and a half hours tomorrow. And so she was a real trooper. She came in and did the show with me for four and a half hours. And now it turns out that I was able to muster up enough strength to hobble my way through the show for four and a half hours. But she stayed with me uh, because she was concerned about how I would be able to do it. And uh, that was that was the closest that I came to it. I will tell you, when I was producing um, the Curtis and Kuby show, Curtis was sick and refused to go home, refused to go home. And ultimately, I had the um, I had to have our general manager, Tim McCarthy at the time, come in and force Curtis to go home or call in and say, Curtis, has to, you have to go home. And his wife came out and picked him up before he was forced to go home, though. This is about six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. He's in the studio in the middle of the segment, middle of a segment with uh, Ron Kuby, George Weber and Warner Wolf. Middle of a segment. He leaves which is very, very unusual for Curtis, leaves to try and make it to the bathroom, runs to the bathroom, can't make it to the bathroom. He vomits on the way to the bathroom. Vomits. I crashed and burned. All over the carpet in the newsroom. Now, it's 7.30 in the morning. Maintenance crew is not going to be there until 9 o'clock. So what does that mean? 
What does that mean? Are we all going to sit around and smell vomit for 90 minutes? Of course not. So I, as the producer of the show, I cleaned up his vomit at, at 7.30 in the morning. I can tell you that was a that was a a a a sobering moment. And I said, if I'm ever on the radio and I'm sick enough that I'm vomiting while I'm on the air, as as much as I hate to miss a show, that's a show that I'm going to have to miss. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Anna is in Washington Heights. Hello, Anna. Hi, good questions tonight, and you're already touching on some aspects of my question. My question is, when somebody produces a radio show, what exactly do they do besides cleaning up vomit? Ah, yes, well, uh, I don't think cleaning up vomit is in the job description generally. Yes. It's a good question, Anna. And honestly, the answer is it really varies from uh, from show to show and from station to station. But what kind? Uh, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm trying okay. to answer. I'm about to answer you. So um, one of the best descriptions of a radio producer mm-hmm. I found is in a book uh, that I read years ago when I first started as a radio producer. It's called The Radio Producer's Handbook. And mm-hmm. in that book, uh, the the writer – and I'll look up the writer – but the writer says that the the word producer is actually an acronym. And what what the P stands for is psychologist. What the R stands for is researcher. What the O stands for is organizer. What the D stands for is director. What the U stands for is understudy. What the C stands for is creative writer. What the E stands for is editor. And what the R stands for is right-hand man. In short, you have to be prepared to – you do everything related to a radio show. So, Do you book you, the guests? Uh, yes, I did when I was producing radio shows. Yes. Yes. Um, but um, uh, so but you also have to be prepared to tell the call screener what to do, to tell the engineer yeah. what to do. You have to be prepared to edit audio uh, that the host may need or that you may need as the producer. Uh, you wow. have to be prepared to be the ombudsman from the programming end of things to the sales department. You have to be prepared to uh, if something goes wrong, step in. Uh, you have to be prepared to whatever's on. the. Uh, you know, I was at a dinner last night. And a host uh, and, and a producer at another station w- said to me, his host called him at five o'clock in the morning and said, you got to call the police. There's someone tailgating me. Now, um, oh that's the kind of thing that you can only tell your producer. It's almost a a lawyer or a priest like relationship. Wow. It's a super close relationship. And you have to be prepared to handle anything and everything at any given time. Interesting. Well, Matt is certainly quick on those buttons. Yes, that he is. Sometimes too quick yeah. for my taste. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Mike is in Kansas. Hello, Mike. Mike. Frank, is that me? Yeah, go oh, ahead. Give it a I, shot. I'm actually in Arkansas is what I told him. Oh, Arkansas. Thank you. <laughs> I tried. Um, but I have a um, – as you know, I'm an overroad trucker. I usually listen, try to catch your live shows at night. Uh, but when I don't, I catch your um, podcast. Thank you through uh, Spotify. But one of your previous Fridays on Ask Frank Anything, you went through your whole list and you said if you want to know how bald Curtis is, you can ask that. Well, just how bald is he? 
Um, well, I, you know, uh, first of all, I don't remember saying that, but I'm sure I did. Thank you, Mike. Um, so Curtis is, I would say, he's got hair on his sides and in, in the back, but he's got a kind of a classic horseshoe pattern. He's bald in the front, but he's also bald in the 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 back area. And uh, it's funny, when I first introduced him to Roger Stone, uh, I guess about 10 years ago, Roger said he saw Curtis without his beret for the first time. And he said, oh, I guess Curtis is doing the full Bing Crosby, meaning uh, that uh, Bing would wear a hat because he didn't like wearing a a toupee. But I'm reminded of a joke. I'm reminded of a joke that uh, my friend Joe Franklin used to tell. He would say uh, that if uh, a man is bald in the front, that means he's a thinker. If a man is bald in the back, that means he's a lover. If a man is bald in the front and the back, as Curtis is, that means he thinks he's a lover. By the way, the author of that book, uh, The Radio Producer's Handbook, it's, it's, it's older now, uh, and there are more relevant and more modern um, books on the craft, is, um, is Rick Kampfer. Rick Kampfer and John Swanson, they wrote that book. All right, um, 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your questions in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Frank Marano, 9, I'm Frank Moreno. A couple of follow-ups to stories we or to questions we've had already. By the way, we have one open line if someone wants to jump in with a question. 800-848-9222. Um, Jay writes, in regards to the caller who had to give his Social Security number when he won $7,000, if he went to the cage with over $10,000 in chips, he would be asked for a Social Security number in conjunction with the currency transaction, with currency transaction reporting. Um, I can't vouch for the adequacy of that answer, but it sounds pretty adequate to me. All right. uh, Miguel writes, I want to ask this, Frank, what happens if we lose the moon? Since this is a space show, I want to ask you what would happen if for some reason we lose the moon? Answer this and magic will happen from Miguel and Flushing. Ooh, magic. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what would happen. That would have been a good question for um, for, uh, Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, yesterday, but... 
You're a day late and a dollar short. We'll put it in the hopper for the next time he's on the show. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. Stu is in Huntington. Hello, Stu. Stu, I got you. Hello? Go ahead, Stu. This is Bill from Huntington. Oh, Bill. Bill, I'm sorry. You got Avery. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. If you decided to sell concierge memberships to your listeners like Bill O'Reilly, what special services would you promise us? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure what I could really offer because I honestly, I think I do everything already that um, we would do with a concierge membership. I mean, uh, Bill uh, O'Reilly, you know, he's got millions of viewers and listeners and and readers all over the world, um, he offers you direct access to him. Everybody that writes to me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com, they get direct access to me. Anybody that writes to me at uh, at Facebook, facebook.com slash Morano, I really don't know. But that's probably the reason why I haven't done it yet, Bill, because I haven't uh, I haven't figured out something that I could offer that I'm not already offering. Why should we buy the cow if we get the milk for free? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I don't think you should. I don't think you'd get okay. anything different from what you're getting now, honestly, Bill. It's a good question. 800-848-9222. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Uh, I was wondering, what is your favorite movie that has an all-star cast? Movie with an all-star cast? Yeah, like, uh, you know, like uh, The Outsiders... I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I would consider The Godfather as having an all-star cast, right? I mean, wouldn't you? I don't know. Everybody in the film is famous. Mar- now they're famous. Marlon Brando, uh, Al Pacino, Talia Shire, yeah. uh, James Caan, Robert Duvall, um, you know. Yeah, I guess it works. That yeah, works. I mean, so I would say I would say probably that. Okay, cool. All right, thank you, Chris. 800-848-WABC. Three open lines if you have a question on any subject. We are in the midst of a um, an opportunity for you to ask questions on any subject. The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever you have questions about, I will do my best to answer them. Let me say hello to Mike in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hello, Frank. Frank, uh, this is a kind of a two-part question. Okay. You're abducted by aliens, taken back to their planet, and you're given the choice. You're either going to be in the alien zoo or the alien circus. What would you prefer? Alien zoo or alien circus? I, I mean, I would, I would probably pick... Um, I would probably pick zoo because I feel like that would be a lot less work, a lot less pressure to perform. And, you know, I'm reminded of the Twilight Zone where Roddy McDowell goes to an alien planet and ends up in a zoo. You know, he's got a television there. He's got a kitchen. He could just kind of sit around all day. It would be nice to have that option, whereas in the circus – I would think there'd be a lot of pressure on me to need to perform all these weird acrobatics on a regular basis. Well, you, you, they drive you around, though. You get to see the planet. 
That's true. That's true. I, I don't know. I see how we we treat a lot of animals in our circuses, and it's it's not the best. So I would probably pick zoo. I, I'd like the opportunity for for leisure. You know, I, I I I've been to the zoo. I was at the Bronx Zoo not long ago, and you you know you see a monkey or a, or whatever animal just sitting around, and you know what? Yeah. People are content to just watch them sitting around. So maybe they'll be just as content to see me sitting around. It's a good point. And and they're going to offer you some incentive and they're going to come back here and they're going to abduct a female, maybe for companionship. Do you have a choice? Well, other I mean, than your wife. Other than my wife. you First of all, I think you've asked me this question before and the answer is still my sister-in-law, Sharon. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. One open line if you want to jump on board. Tom is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Morning, Frank. I didn't realize I was going to get on this quick. How's your cat doing? Uh, well, you know, I, I had no updates since the other day. I mean, she seems in good spirits. She still seems to be losing a lot of weight, but her blood blood pressure is normal. Her levels appear to be normal. So um, other than the fact that she's losing weight, uh, she seems to be fine. Now, uh, my wife just ordered this super expensive high-calorie cat food for her, mm-hmm. and we're hoping that does the trick. But uh, but we'll see. We'll see where, where she okay. is weight-wise at her next visit. All right. Well, uh, does she does she have any outside uh, interactions at all? Or is she an indoor cat only? Uh, well, currently she's an indoor cat because my wife kept let, she would give her the opportunity to go into the backyard, and she kept finding a way to run away. And so uh-huh. my wife decided we're no longer allowing her in the backyard, and it's driving her crazy. She 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 stays by the backyard, uh, by the back door, and meows, and she begs to be let out. But my wife is very strict; she won't let her out uh, because uh, because uh, she keeps running away. So now she's strictly indoor. She has been for the last, I'd say, two months or so. All right. Well, she started losing weight before that. Maybe you need to. Um... Have the, the vet look at feline HIV. It's yeah, a, a couple of common... people. A couple of people have mentioned that. I will. I'll bring that up with uh, with my wife, who I'm sure will talk to the vet about it. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Joey on Long Island. Hello, Joey. Hey, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Big fan. Thanks. That's I nice of you. Soprano, I got a soprano question. Sure. In your heart of hearts, what do you think happened at the end? Come on, come clean. Uh, well, look, I think um, I think he died. You think those guys came in and killed everybody? I, I don't know. Look, you know, I almost think it's the same as the end of the film The Wrestler, where if he didn't die there, he would have died soon thereafter. Um, and uh, and look, I think if you look at the flashback. In the previous episode that Tony had with um, when when he was talking with uh, Steve Sharippa's character, Bobby Bacala, when Bacala says to him, you probably don't even see it coming. It probably all just goes blank. I mean, I, I think that's a. I, I think Bacala was talking about himself because he got, you know, he got it. At the yeah, train. it could he be. Got it with the train well, I, I think that's what's so great about the ending. Honestly, I think that it's what it's open to interpretation. Well, I'm asking you your feelings. Yeah, my feeling is he died. Wow. Along yeah. with the family. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, my feeling is if he didn't die, like, again, same thing as the end of The Wrestler. And I've asked the director 
uh, the, of, I think his name's Darren Aronofsky, of the wrestler, the same thing, is did, does he die at the end of the wrestler? Because if you watch the wrestler, it's almost the exact same thing. It just suddenly fades to black. And, um, and he said, Aronofsky said, I don't know if he dies. Basically, if he doesn't die there, he was prepared to die and he would have died in that manner, um, at another time. So I think he probably died. I don't know who else died. I don't know who killed him, but I think he died personally. But again, I think that's what's so great about the ending is that it's open to interpretation. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Two open lines if you want to jump on board. Troy's in West Babylon. Hello, Troy. Hey, Frank. How are you feeling? Great. Thank uh, you. Question. What's, what's the greatest wrestling feud in wrestling history? But, r- greatest wrestling what? Feud. What's the greatest like, feud in wrestling history? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, look, so we're all we're all a product of the era in which we came from, right? So there's there's a couple that come to mind. Um, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes uh, comes to mind because I'm such a Ric Flair fan. Yeah. Um, that that comes to mind. Uh, you know, um, I think I think uh, Ric Flair and Sting also comes to mind. Um, a little bit later, I think um, I think Undertaker and Kane comes to mind. And I know it's a little non-traditional because one of them is not exactly a wrestler, but I think a case can be made. I think a strong case can be made for Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon and uh, and the, yeah, and the manner exactly. in which their feud uh, took root. So those are a couple of the ones that uh, that immediately come to mind for me, honestly. Can I throw another one to your way? Sure. Jerry King, King Lawler and uh, the actor. Um, Andy Kaufman? Taxi. Uh, and, yeah, the one from Taxi. Yeah, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, I mean, that was a great feud. And if you, you know, I mentioned it at the time. There's a great documentary on Netflix about the making of that film, uh, the, the ma- making of Man on the Moon now. And Jerry Lawler is interviewed for that documentary about Jim Carrey. It's wonderful. And And Jerry Lawler talks a little bit about the differences of dealing with Jim Carrey versus dealing with Andy Kaufman. The reason I don't consider that a feud like the ones that I that I just mentioned is because basically it was one talk show appearance and uh, kind of one match and sort of some you know the the action before another match. You know, the other feuds, yeah. there's a whole bunch of matches. There's matches yeah. that end in chicanery. There's matches where one guy wins. It's a prolonged feud that goes on for a while. And look, uh, Jerry the King Lawler is a real wrestler. Andy Kaufman, let's face it, great, and I'm a fan of Andy Kaufman, great actor, great comedian, but he was not a real wrestler. Yeah. He was he was a satirist. He was a comedian. He was a performer. And I, I think that um, like when you talk about something like Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair, uh, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, you know those guys. But you know Andre the Giant and Big John Studd, those guys were real wrestlers. You know Andy Kaufman wasn't, in my opinion. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 open lines if you want to jump on board. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Lenny is in Beth Page. Hello, Lenny. Hey, how are you? Great, thank you. Great. I'm just wondering now that the appellate court dissolved all these lines, what happens? Excellent question. Um, on May 20th, the, the legislature or the special master that the lower court appointed to draw the lines 
by May 20th, they have to draw, have new lines delivered by. And uh, what is likely to happen is that there will be the all the candidates running for state Senate and all the candidates running for Congress will likely have to collect and circulate petitions again, which is a real kick in the backside for all those campaigns that have already gone to the trouble of collecting petitions once before. Looks like they're going to have to do it again. Now, the big question is, and there doesn't seem to be an answer on this one yet, and I imagine we'll get an answer this coming week. The big question is, um, is it only going to be the congressional and state Senate primaries that get postponed till August, or will it also be governor, lieutenant governor, and state assembly? So uh, I don't know if the state wants to have two separate primaries, one in June and one in August. Now, we used to do that, and I, in, in part because of the work of people like me, we, we, we consolidated them to one primary. But what happens now is we will see the new lines uh, by May 20th at the latest. They're saying it's only Congress and state Senate. Right. That's true. But yes. Okay. No, but the question is, yeah, I mean, those are the only ones where the new lines are. But but since the the primary is postponed for Congress and state Senate, and I'm just going to turn you off, Lenny, because your your radio's on. And uh, Avery Brooks, if you could just remind everybody to turn their radio off when they call. Um if the primary is postponed, which it now is for Congress and state Senate, the question becomes, does the legislature want to have two separate primaries at substantial expense to the taxpayer, one on June 28th and then another one in August? Um, obviously, the logical answer to that is no. But there's also no logical reason if the assembly lines aren't changing and obviously, the there are no lines of the governor's race or the lieutenant governor's race. That's the whole state. There's no reason to really push that back except for the need for consolidation. So we'll see. We'll see. But the, the answer is they will be um, they will be unveiled by May 20th. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Carl is in New Jersey. Hello, Carl. Hey, yo. I got a couple questions for you, real quick. I, why is it? Why? Why is? What does the saying mean? Well, Carl, your voice changed all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me, Lady Priscilla. She wants to know why she can't have her cake and eat it too. What does it mean? Because she doesn't. What does the saying mean? New York City is so bad. She doesn't understand. Um. Well. Well. Why we'll... can't I have my cake? And eat it, too. Well, you can. And the saying actually makes no sense, right? I mean, um, the proper right. yeah, the proper way to say it, and there's a wonderful book, um, uh, you know, on this, uh, on this front called Yes, I Could Care Less by Bill Walsh. And it deals extensively. Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh yeah. And it, he died, unfortunately. But it deals extensively with this saying. The proper saying um, is you, they, they really mean to say you can't, Eat your cake and have it, too. But it makes no sense. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. It's like saying head over heels. Of course you're head over heels. I'm head over heels right now. We all are. If you're really excited, you're heels over head. That would be the... That would be the way that it makes that it makes sense. The the phrase, have your cake and eat it, too, makes no sense, which is why I don't say it. I say, I say, eat your cake and have it, too. And I say heels over head. It's true. 800-848-9222. Ray is in Raritan. Hello, Ray. Hey, how you doing, Frank? 
if your house was on fire and you could only save your wife or your son, who would you save? Oh, that's that's like a Sophie's Choice yeah. type of question. Yeah, I, I know you couldn't answer that. I, I can't answer that one. I can't. I would. Um, I would be so paralyzed by my indecision that I would burn up. See, I knew you couldn't answer. I that. I can't. Right. I can honestly. Honestly. All right, I got I one more for you. Sure. One more. Who's the only president that served on the Supreme Court and was a president? Um, William Howard Taft. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got to get up pretty early in the day to stump me in presidential trivia. We used to do that as a as a regular segment on this show, Wednesdays at 3.30, but then it got a little too repetitive. We discontinued it. Maybe we'll bring it back for a special show. 800-848-WABC. Mark is in the Bronx. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. Uh, why do you suppose, especially on your station, but all over the world, why do you suppose so many conservatives got so many more Twitter followers since Elon Musk bought Twitter? Have their groomers got their hand had got caught in the cookie jar again with their hand in the cookie jar. Well, so the the speculation, and even the New York Post speculated about this on their front page yesterday, the speculation was, oh, they put an end to shadow banning. I don't believe right. that. I, I think here's what happened, honestly. Uh, and look, I, I'm as conspiratorial when it comes to these Twitter algorithms as anybody, and I think they're up to no good, and I've seen some of the things they've done to some of my tweets, and I don't trust right. them at all. I don't think that they could have changed things algorithmically that quickly to all of a sudden have conservatives um, Twitter feeds start popping up in other people's Twitter feeds again. What I think happened is as simple as this. I think a lot of people um, wanted to come. They left Twitter after Trump was suspended in protest and they made the decision to come back. And when they made the decision to come back, all the people that they were following, uh, they popped up in their Twitter feed again. I mean, uh, we know Mark Levin came back. We know Tucker Carlson came back. My right, friend Roger right. Stone, I was talking to him last night. Roger tried to come back. They they wouldn't let him back yet. So I don't think it was any difference in the algorithm. I think, honestly, it's, uh, and again, my you know, my natural predilection is always towards conspiracy. But I think, honestly, what happened is a bunch of conservatives felt better about the new ownership on Twitter and they came back, reactivated their account, and all the people that they were following, all of a sudden they came up as having followed them again. I think that's as simple as that, honestly. So that makes sense. But I got to tell you, I was banned for saying something uh, really bad about Don Lemon and Anna Navarro, and I was banned. I went back on yesterday, and I said even worse. No one said a thing. I, I'm not Is banned, that right? I, I, Interesting. I, yes. Yeah. So Interesting. I, I, I yeah, think it's great. I maybe you're right, great. Mark. I, I don't. I honestly have no idea. It's a good question. I don't know. John is in New Jersey. Hello, John. Hey, what's up, Frank? Not um, much. So, so my question is: um, Would you kill somebody for ten million dollars if there were no consequences? No. No, I wouldn't. No, I don't want to kill anybody. Ten million dollars? Yeah, I mean, look, honestly, and I think um, it's one of the great frustrations that my wife has with me and uh, other family members. Money is honestly not that important to me. Uh, You know, I'm starting to look at making money now, now that I have to uh, have a son to provide for. But money has never been important to me. And I got a newsflash for you. Um, If money was important to me. This is not the career that I would have chosen. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other fields I could have gone into over the years and made a lot more money. 
And especially given, you know, when I was in politics for a long time, there's a lot of people that use politics to make money. I never have. I've only lost money at politics. Um, I uh, no, I wouldn't kill anybody for any amount of money. Uh, no, I mean, uh, not absolutely not. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Al's in Florida. Hello, Al. Yeah, uh, uh, Frank, I was just thinking about the most star studded movies and uh, it's a mad, mad, mad world. Did you ever see that? Movie? Yeah, I love it. I-, I love it's a mad, mad, mad world. Absolutely. Na- 1963. How old were you then? Uh, I, you know, I don't say my age on the air, actually. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, I love Mickey Rooney, especially. The... Any Spencer Tracy or oh, Mickey, Mickey Rooney, Rooney is great. Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, Phil Silver. Yeah, Jonathan Winters, Steven. Sid Caesar, absolutely. Jonathan Winters. Uh, but what, what, was, what was your question, though, Al? No, that was- Thank you. I just want to get to some other people before we run out of time. In fact, let me take a quick break. We'll resume with your questions in just a second. We only have one one open line, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano answering your questions on any subject at 800-848-9222. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Hey, what's up, what's up, Frank? Uh, you know, everybody's always talking about the ending in The Sopranos. That ending could leave the door open for any kind of, you know, sequel or whatever. Have you ever been knocked out, Frank? Have you ever been, you know, knocked out, not seen it coming? Uh, Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's been a while, but yes. Yeah, so there you go. It's like the lights go out. If you're dead, if it was a bullet to the back of the head and you're dead, your loved ones miss you. You yep. don't know nothing. That's true. That's yeah. true, Mike. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that's it, Frank. That's true. Hey, thank you. Great, great question. Mark in Brooklyn, what's your question? Yes, hello, Frank. Uh, Pleasure talking with you. listen to you every night. Oh, thanks. Uh, That's nice. Number one is um, you're one of the few stations in New York that actually plays the music radio WABC jingles because Mm. you don't hear that at any other station anymore. And that that's great to hear. The other thing is, what has happened to FM radio? When FM radio has started, you had like Muzak radio stations, easy listening music. You don't hear that anymore. FM radio has so crowded now with all sorts of music. FM radio is not even enjoyable anymore. What well, is your opinion on that? I, look, I think there are a handful of FM stations that I still really enjoy. I like um, New Jersey 101.5, for instance, uh, both during the week the talk programming and the music programming uh, on the weekend. In terms of music, I find uh, CBS FM pretty decent. Uh, there are moments when um, when I can enjoy Q104.3 or um, or even KTU, Once the Blue Moon. But honestly, I think what I agree with – and look, I do listen to WBAI, uh, which is a non-commercial station and um, – 
uh, and WFMU, which is a non-commercial station. But mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you. I think the state of FM radio is pretty lousy, not only in New York, but all over the country. And I think it's due primarily to um, corporate greed, basically, and restrictions on on corporate ownership of stations. There used to be a uh, restriction on how many stations one owner could own in the same market. Those Uh restrictions are all gone, and it's led to them jettisoning staff and having six, seven stations on one floor, most of them computerized in order to save money, and they all play the same music. And even not even just the top 40 stations. You even look beyond the top 40 stations, and uh, they're playing the same garbage, honestly. I mean, I hate to characterize it that way, Uh, but... Again, I wish FM would uh, reinvent itself. Now, we have sort of a monopoly on quality talk on our station in the market now. But if I was if I owned an FM station and look, John Katsimatidis does own 107.1 FM on Long Island. But if I had an FM station, I would run an FM talk station, kind of like WNEW used to do back in the day or, um, you know, or free FM back in the day. So I, I really think that you're right. The state of FM radio is pretty dismal, and I think a lot of it is self-inflicted. 800-848-9222. Alfredo is in Newark. Hello, Alfredo. Yes, good morning, Frank. Uh, if there is a race, uh, election election race, and you have to choose in between uh, Marjorie, Ter- Marjorie Taylor Green and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and you both decide who stays, uh, who goes? Which one do you will really pick up? Well, um, what are they running for? Uh, you know, for a uh, you know uh, Congress, con- Congress. Uh, you know, it's a it's such a good question um, because there are things that I like about both of them, but I really couldn't see myself voting for either of them. So I would probably, uh, honestly, I would write someone in. I I couldn't really vote for for either of them. I find both of them so um, objectionable. I I would have such a tough time voting for either one of them, honestly. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Alfredo. 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank, uh, if I was in that cage, I'd want to be in with uh, Gal Gadot and uh, Sofia Vergara, a multicultural cage. <laughs> you know? But uh, my, my question to you is, Frank, I know you're very pro-UFO uh, and pro-alien. Uh, looking to- well, I, I'm not pro-alien. I'm, I'm pro, you know, asking the questions that uh, are so plainly evident to ask, yes. Yeah, but have you ever thought if, we, if an alien actually came out of the space capsule or spaceship it could have a, a deadly virus that could wipe out the earth uh, like a coronavirus or maybe a hundred times worse and we wouldn't even know it and it- well some people have theorized uh, that things like that have happened already and you know i don't think that's far off look um you know a lot of people take umbrage with including state senator alessandra biagi they take umbrage with christopher Lum- columbus and his treatment of the american indians in north america the truth is that when columbus came here He killed more American Indians not by doing anything, but just by breathing, because he brought all sorts of germs from Europe that they didn't have immunity 
to. So I think that there's a strong possibility that that would indeed happen, actually, uh, Neil. I think that's very possible. And some people believe that things like that have already happened. Jeff's in Jersey City. Hello, Jeff. Oh, uh, Frank, uh, 60 seconds in a, a couple of questions. Um, if you can find the name of the uh, anti-Semitic fireman who told Sid Rosenberg, stay out of the church for the funeral. Uh, this is a disgrace to the fire department. If you heard Sid's program and how upset he was about it and for all he's done for the for the for the fire and the policeman. Uh, and here's another question for you. Uh, more important or me- uh, relevant film, uh, Serpico or The Godfather? And, and, and thank you. Your um, your uh, interview with Swazi last night, excellent. Mm-hmm. Oh, and thank you. My choice: if they can get, do you think they could get enough votes in this city? Either Lee Zeldin would be my first, and this would be your rank rank choice um, system. Lee Zeldin would be my first choice type. And Tom Swazi would be my second. Can they get enough votes in the city, um, you know, to uh, uh, ultimately uh, win the governorship? Uh, Kathy Hochul is a loser. Uh, Well, so I'm not clear on your first question. Is it Serpico or the Godfather? Yes, yeah. relevant, real relevant historical change uh, impact. Well, I, I think probably Serpico. Serpico, while they do take some liberties, Serpico is a true story. As for your second question, look, I think it's going to be very difficult for any Republican uh, to win, to get enough votes out of New York City. You know, uh, you probably need at least 35 um 35 to 30 to 40 percent of the vote in New York City as a Republican to win. Can any Republican that's running? I don't know. Um, Maybe Harry Wilson can just because of the amount of money that he's able to spend and because he's not able to be tied to Trump as the others. Um, That being said, you know, uh, Kathy Hochul, unlike most of the other recent governors that we've had, is not from New York City. So maybe she'll have less uh, resonance down here. So, But my my instinct would be no, that no Republican can get enough New York City votes in order to win statewide. But, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that because I think every candidate of every party, Green, Libertarian, Democrat, whatever other party, should try to fight for every vote. So I, I don't like to do anything to dissuade people from voting for the candidate that they want to vote. Look, I knew Curtis wasn't going to in all likelihood, win the election. Um, but I still gave him money, and I, I busted a, uh, through a lot of pairs of shoes on his behalf. Because when you believe in something, you got to do it. Lenny's on Long Island. Hello, Lenny. Hey, Frank, how are you? Good, Lenny. What I want to talk about is Astorino. He lost the county executive. He lost the state senate. Now he's running for governor. Right. He also lost for governor, and he lost twice for county yeah. executive. How does yeah? How does that make sense? It doesn't. I mean, he has no chance of winning. Right. So you keep losing, keep losing. You run for higher office. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's the same thing of uh, of of Beto O'Rourke in Texas. All right. Well, I I didn't win for uh, I didn't win for U.S. Senate. Now let me run for president. No, now let me run for governor. You know, it's just let me lose, let me lose, let me lose. Yeah, I mean, look, sometimes you can sometimes you can make a comeback. Nixon made a comeback. He lost for president. He lost for governor, and then he came back and ran for president. So it is possible. I don't see it happening for Rob Astorino, though. Let me squeeze in one. 
one more question here before we let uh, before we let Matt, um, Avery Brooks, and occasionally Alex uh, determine who they think has the best question. Let me say hello to Ray in East Meadow. Hello, Ray. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Great. Uh, my cousin was a stagehand in Madison Square Garden, and he brought me up on the catwalk during a Ranger Bruins game, and I leaned over the rail, and my lighter fell down, and my Marlboro's right in center ice. Well, it was in, like, double overtime, and... Uh, the worst thing was I had a half a doobie in there, man. So what's I your question, half a doobie. What's your question? Well, the question is, you know, what do you think about New York City and Madison Square Garden? Uh, well, look, I think they should pay taxes. That's my that's my answer. I, I wish uh, Madison Square Garden would pay a few more uh, a few more dollars in uh, taxes. Alan in Long Island, can you make your question thirty seconds or less? We all see Biden coming out and speaking to the public and the difficulties that he's having. It seems like they prepare him to come out, maybe by giving him some type of drug or something. I believe his wife is in on it. I just feel that one day he's going to come out and just have a total breakdown on the air. Okay, Alan, what's your question? Real quick, we got a break here. What's your question? Well, I just wanted to see what your opinion of Okay, that. I have no idea. That's my opinion. I have no idea. Uh, Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Avery Brooks, do you have a consensus on who had the best question? Yes. Uh, number one is Bill from Huntington about what you would offer in a concierge membership. Okay. Close second, Mike from Arkansas, how bald is Curtis? Okay, uh, so uh, we're, we're only giving away one prize. Uh, Bill in Huntington, call back and we will give you a a prize. 800 and uh, Bill, call as Stu, so Avery recognizes you. Hey, uh, still to come, we'll talk with the editor of National Geographic History magazine and uh, the new uh, general manager of the Ferry Hawks. Keep asking questions. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight happy friday uh thank you for listening to me i appreciate it very much coming up in about 20 minutes we're going to talk with amy briggs she is the uh, executive editor of the national geographic history magazine we'll talk a little bit about uh amelia Earhart. we'll talk a little bit about the titanic and uh, maybe i'll squeeze in a space question or two here's an article uh, that uh, caught my eye a day or two ago it's from bloomberg headline Child care workers are quitting the industry for the for good in the United States. And immediately that headline grabbed my attention because of the uh, 
the difficulty that my wife and I often have getting childcare and the expense when we are able to get childcare that that it's costing us. I mean, it costs us a fortune, and we only have a babysitter for four hours a day, and then once in a blue moon, if I have to come in early for a work event, we'll also have a um, a babysitter. But it costs a fortune. It costs a fortune. So um, this certainly caught my attention. Apparently, COVID-19 exacerbated staff shortages in a sector that often pays less than the local big box store. And if you read this, one expert says, as a society, we just haven't valued that work in the way that we do other professionals. Now, this is something that is going on evidently all over the country. And this is a real cause for concern. I'm curious where you think this ends up, 800-848-WABC, because these are positions, child care work, that are low pay, you know, primarily, again, there are exceptions, low pay, it's demanding work, sometimes both physically and mentally and spiritually occasionally, and a lack of benefits that drive child care workers out of the industry for good. And this pandemic only made things worse. So um, I'm curious if you see this problem getting better, getting worse, or staying about the same. 800-848-9222. You know, the good thing, uh, and again, I think if you've listened to me for any length of time, you know I'm very strict when it comes to borders and immigration. But the good thing about the flood of immigrants that are coming into this country, all the more that will flood in after, uh, you know, after May because of uh, Title 42, if it's rescinded, if it's rescinded, is those are folks that have had no problem working in child care. But employment in daycare services remains more than 10 percent below pre-COVID levels. Think about that. More than 10 percent below pre-COVID levels. That's compared with just 1% for the labor market at large. Understand those numbers again. So you take the labor market at large, 1% below pre-COVID levels. Child care, daycare and the like, that is 10% below where we were just two years ago. LinkedIn data suggests that many of these women, early child care work is almost entirely done by women, as I think a lot of you know. They move to other jobs, primarily jobs in education. Bloomberg Chronicles Sarah Mallett, she's one of them, 32 years old. She worked at an early childhood facility in Maine for almost nine years, struggling to pay her student loans with her hourly wages before ultimately leaving during the pandemic to teach in a public school. And she said, quote, that was where my heart and soul was. But when we shut down and we hadn't been working for three months, that's when I knew I needed to shift my income and my security, and find a way to get benefits. So U.S. child care employment was growing before COVID hit. It did start dipping before COVID, but it's gotten significantly worse since 2019. 
So I'm curious, now that this pandemic may or may not be over, do you see this child care crisis abating? Or is the damage done? Are, are we going to see a whole generation of parents that need to pay an arm and a leg for child care and still may not be able to get it? What do you think? 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. So you have staffing with thousands of child care centers that just never reopened. And that's leaving about 460,000 families struggling to find alternatives. That's based on estimates from Wells Fargo. Some of these parents, especially mothers, are are out of the labor force now. Wells Fargo's uh, economists said in a note last month, the daycare industry's challenges are making hiring more difficult and expensive for all sectors. COVID exacerbated pre-existing shortages in an industry known for its high turnover, causing hundreds of thousands of employees to lose their jobs when daycares shut down. And as the economy recovered, the tight labor market pushed employers from retailers to restaurant chains to boost wages to at least $15 an hour. So try and find somebody to work in child care that's not getting that. I mean, the woman, and she's a friend of mine, and very nice woman, does a great job with Carmine. The woman who stays with him from 9 to 1 during the week, we pay her $20 an hour. I can't imagine finding someone less than $20 an hour now. But honestly, it is a struggle coming up with that money every week. And I, we're not the only ones. There are people a lot worse off than we are. So where do you think we're headed with the future of child care? I mean, I could see us going in one of a few different directions. I could see these people ultimately coming back to work once the economy continues to normalize. That's one option. I could see if uh, Biden is able to lift Title 42 as he wants to do and has a flood of immigrants coming in here, both illegal and legal, then you'll see a lot of illegal immigrants being willing to take on a child care role. That's a second option I could see, and that could be maybe even a combination with the first. Three, I could see the United States moving towards something like what they have in France and many other, um, you know, and uh, Finland and other European quasi-socialist countries where you have government-financed child care. I, I think that's a very real possibility. Or four, I could see us continuing to teeter along in the manner that we're on, we are now to the point where child work, child care work is so difficult to come by that you're going to have to pay somebody $30 an hour. What do you think? Where do you see this going? Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So, as I said, the big box stores and other similar jobs, they're now paying $15 an hour. So as of now, the early child care sector is unable to compete financially. That means that on average, people who take care of infants and toddlers often make less than those that work at a local store or a warehouse. Providers say they can't charge parents much more than they already do because households on average spend about 13% of their income on child care in this country. 
Pandemic relief did help some daycares increase pay temporarily, but without sustained government support, business owners say they can't afford sustainable wage increases. Um, Tierney Rice, the owner of Gilmore Prep Academy in South Carolina, said, you want to pay people what they should be getting, but then at the same time, that means you have to charge more to be able to do that. So it seems like your classic catch-22. Where does this leave us? Where does Adam Smith and the invisible hand leave us on this one? 800-848-9222. The average daycare worker earns about $12.40 an hour or $25,700.90 a year. That's according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's barely above the poverty level for a household of three. So maybe the salary should come up. Across all occupations, the average is $28.01 an hour. So think about what I just said. The average daycare worker earns $16 an hour less than what the average is in the rest of the country. In Maine, where the average hourly wage for childcare work is below $15, Tara Williams, the executive director of the Maine Association for the Education of Young Children, said she's been early child, she's seen early childhood educators leave for national chains, convenience stores, hair salons, and even to open a photography business. So how do you see this playing out? 800-848-9222. Lenny is in Beth Page. Hello, Lenny. Frank. Hey, Lenny. Lenny, were you on already? No, I no, wasn't. Okay, all right. Must have been another Can Lenny. Say something? Why would you raise a child with somebody else raising it if it's your kid? Yeah, well, and why would you call a radio station and leave your radio on? My radio's not on. I ju- why would you raise a child? Well, Lenny, without- I hear I hear you and me speaking in the background. Your radio is on. It's not on. Okay, now Frank. it's on. Yeah, but, yeah. So to answer your question, Why would you raise yeah, Frank? I'm, I'm trying to let Lenny again. That's okay. how I know your radio's on because you're not pausing to let me answer you. So, um, be, okay, I'm sorry. Right. Well, because my wife and I can't afford our house on what we're making unless we both work. So, um, what would you suggest in terms of who's going to watch our child for four hours? You don't have a stranger raise your kid. Yeah. Well, she's not a stranger. We know her. Okay. But you know what? You need a husband or wife to raise a child, no? Yeah, Lenny. I mean, it's not as if we're we're throwing this child to the wolves, but I, I explained to you our situation. Um, we can't really afford to live where we live and not both work. So um, for four hours a day, if that means while my wife is home, I have uh, an, another person that you've termed a stranger who I've already explained to you is not a stranger, come in I'm and... Sorry to, I'm no, sorry no, to say a stranger, but it's, it's, it's your child. child. Yeah, uh, Lenny, raising him, raising him. We're with him for 20 hours a day. It's four hours that I can sleep and my wife can work. Cut me some slack, Jack. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on uh, on this. All right, Amy Briggs is going to join me in a few minutes. If you want, to, um, you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Frank Morano. We still have our caption contest going with uh, the best caption to the photo of uh, Governor Patterson, Judge Pirro, and me 
yesterday. If you want to, if you want to participate in that, we will give out a piece of WABC swag. Uh, it's on my Twitter at Frank Morano. Just retweet that photo with a comment, and then whoever has the best comment. So far, there's been some good comments. Whoever has the best comment, in my subjective opinion, will give a complimentary piece of WABC swag too. We'll give you th- to the end of the show. Uh, still to come, we have denunciations, and then Gary Perone, the general manager of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, is going to be here as well. A few other things I'm going to run by you as well throughout the course of the day. Amy Briggs from uh, National Geographic joins us straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano on 77 WABC. You know, if you listen to this show, we like to explore the mysteries of the universe, the mysteries that took place in the past, the mysteries that uh, we've yet to solve in the future, mysteries that we haven't even begun to contemplate yet. And that's why one of the email uh, newsletters that I make sure to subscribe to is National Geographic, because they do all sorts of great stuff related to history, related to space, related to science. And I really, no matter how busy I find myself when that National Geographic newsletter comes in, I find myself reading every single word that it comes in my email. And I have to tell you, one of my uh, favorite contributors uh, to the National Geographic has become Amy Briggs. She's the executive editor of the National Geographic History Magazine and also the co-host of Overheard at National Geographic. She wears a lot of other hats as well, which uh, if time permits, we'll touch upon. Amy, uh, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really fun to be here. So, Amy, I got to tell you, I was really interested in the the piece, the digital piece that National Geographic did on uh, on the Titanic. Now, I think a lot of people grow up thinking, all right, this was a, a ship that sank 110 years ago. It's sad that it that it um, you know that it sank. There was a great movie about it, maybe a couple of great movies. But um, if you were to tell folks something about the Titanic and what happened with the Titanic that they probably don't know or that's a popular misconception about, what would it be? Oh, wow. That they probably, I mean, there's so many Titanic experts out there. I'm just waiting for them to pounce on me. Well, like, I mean, layman, I layman like me, layman like me that, uh, that, that think that my extent of Titanic knowledge is that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio didn't make it to that, uh, that raft with uh, Kate Winslet. And we can talk about what's your position about <laughs> if there's room on the door or not later. But I think what, what blew my mind is how quickly the ship sank, that it just took two hours or so. And that was it. And it went down. You have this like boat. That's the like the pinnacle of technology at the time. Everybody's like, it's unsinkable. It's tremendous, blah, blah, blah. And you have this sense of like hubris, right? They don't have enough lifeboats. The guy who's on the radio, he actually hears like people warning about, hey, there are icebergs in the water. And he's kind of like, ah, you know, the fact that they, you know, they have this glancing blow with an iceberg. And then in two hours, it's over. It's like that's just all it took to take that take a ship like that down. 
Why did people think that it was unsinkable? I mean, the surest way to jinx something is by saying something's <laughs> never going to happen. Why were they running around saying this ship is unsinkable? Why was there such hubris that it couldn't sink? I think we had, I and mean, it's tough for me to say since I wasn't, you know, alive Naturally, at the time. Of sure. stuff, but I think that there's this, like, just optimism. I think human beings are fundamentally optimistic. There was a lot of, you know, design, a lot of technology, a lot of really smart people who got together to build this ship. And it had, you know, what was state of the art for the time. And, you know, you never know what the fly in the ointment is going to be that topples your, you know, your max, your masterpiece. Right. So I think to me, I think it's an over, it's just an overabundance of optimism in this faith of human progress. And we're just, it's all going to turn out fine. And sometimes an iceberg comes along and it doesn't. Mm. Mm. Now, one of the myths uh, about the Titanic, or I, I don't know if it was a myth, but it's certainly something that's been said for the last 110 years or so, is that the band kept playing as the ship sank. Based on your research or your knowledge, is that true? I've not researched that personally, but I do believe that it that it is true. Yeah, hey, I mean, you talk about commitment. That is that's something. Now, the well, um, you have, I mean, you do have the captain going down with the ship. Like you do have, like there were people who knew they were they weren't getting off that boat and that they were going to die and you know the the idea that the band stayed there and played isn't too far a stretch in my imagination you know from that sense of duty let's say the captain had yeah you wrote in this piece uh, the headline of which is oh um you know did the titanic have to sink and then you chronicle what went wrong in the titanic's final hours you write um, no, and I think you speak for a lot of folks, no matter how often its story is told, the Titanic never fails to capture my imagination. Maybe it's the grandeur of the ship, the discovery of its sunken wreckage or the never ending debate over if there was enough room for Jack on the door. Give me your take on the uh, on the Jack debate. Uh, could he have uh, could he have survived at the end of that picture? I think he could have survived. It's not I me. Mean, Kate Winslet is. Kay Winslet, she's not a large person. She could have scrambled up there. You know, I, I'm, I'm surprised it didn't really come up. That's sort of the, like, this is the love of your life, and you're not like, hey, let me scooch over and make a little room for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, in fairness, I guess they wanted a dramatic ending, and if they both survived, maybe that wouldn't deliver uh, the, the kind of drama that they wanted. But it does. Yeah, because I think the class differences kind of rear their head once they're back on dry land in New York. <laughs> naturally, <laughs> naturally, naturally. So did the Titanic have to sink? Did it have to? I mean, it... it What's that that nursery rhyme like for want of a something the whatever was lost, you know, right. there's this like nursery rhyme. And like to me, it's the same thing. It's the it's that one iceberg. Right. If they don't if they don't have a glancing blow, because if you look at the, the gash on the ship and the footage that, you know, Bob Ballard took underwater where you can kind of see what they think the strike site was, um, it's it's not like in your mind, this great, huge, gaping wound in the side of the ship. It's actually kind of small and unimpressive. Do, do you, but the, that article that that we wrote, like the lead image is, you know, a, a very dramatic artistic rendering of the boat, like hitting an iceberg head on. And like, we're very clear on the caption, like this isn't what happened, but this is what our imagination thinks happened. So no, I don't think it had to sink, but, you know, you, you, you puncture your hull, 
you're you're gonna stink. Mm, mm. No, it's uh, yeah, I, I guess that's true. Do you think the movies uh, that that have been made for the last eighty, ninety years or so have helped or hurt uh, scholarship as it relates to the Titanic? Ooh, I didn't see the one like the one that was made in like the fifties, so I can't speak to that one. You know, I think to some degree the 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 Cameron one, I think both helped and hurt. I think it helped in the sense of generating tremendous interest in the story, in the past, in the people, in, you know, people wanting to know either like who were the people on the ship or how was the ship built or, you know, what were the, the you know, the minute by minute accounts of it going down, all that stuff. The stuff that I think hurts is when you get people sort of treating the the wreckage site as a bit of a, a tourist attraction mm. rather than a grave and wanting to, you know, haul things up from the site either to, you know, some people want to put them in museums and preserve them. Other people said, like, that's a grave site. That's where people died. That's sacred land. You know, it, the commodification of the wreck itself, I think, is is problematic. But the general interest in the story, I think, is fantastic. What What is the state of the Titanic wreckage today? Is it degrading quickly? Uh, I mean, w- what's going on there? Do you have any idea? The The state of the, the wreck, as far as I know, is that it's doing what ships underwater do. It is degrading. How quickly it's degrading, I have no idea. Um, that's a, definitely a question for a marine scientist. <laughs> We're talking with Amy Briggs. She's a writer, an editor. You also uh, did a terrific podcast back in March looking at the life and the legacy of uh, Amelia Earhart. And it was at a time that I was uh, steeped in a lot of research about Amelia Earhart's life and Amelia Earhart's disappearance. What do you think her legacy is as an aviator, as a as someone that's been so celebrated as a pioneering woman? What is her legacy uh, this many years after her disappearance? I mean, just as an aviator, you know, she set so many records, you know, she was and she, I think, pushed herself so hard because of this, like, first experience she has flying across the Atlantic. So the first time she flies across the Atlantic is sort of is shortly after Charles Lindbergh does. And so there's this stunt, basically, they're like, who's going to be the first woman to fly across the Atlantic? And she's like literally sitting in the back of the plane. She didn't fly it the first time. And like she got made fun of in the press. And they were like, oh, she was a sack of potatoes. And I think that lit a fire under her to be like, I'll show you sack of potatoes. And so then the next time she flies across the Atlantic, she does it by herself. Mm. And that she's like set in records and pushing herself and constantly, I think, trying to be like, I can do this because I'm a person and I'm motivated and I know how to fly. And just because I happen to be a woman, that's that's immaterial. You should be trying to push yourself and do all these things, too. Do you have a theory about what happened with her disappearance? I'm totally boring. I think I'm in the crash and sank theory. Crash and think, sank. Yep. I think they missed the island. And I think the plane is probably in the water around close, around Howland Island somewhere. Mm. Why it's a boring you, one. No, hey, I mean, sometimes the boring answer is the, uh, even if it's the most obvious, is the correct one. Why do you think it's been such a struggle for folks to find the plane these many years later? Because the Pacific Ocean is huge. Mm. I think that's the, the thing that I know when I think about this mystery, I fail to appreciate. It's just how immense the Pacific Ocean is. And when you look at the the area where, you know, the different areas where people are searching, you're looking for what appears to be a big plane when it's on the land, but you put it in scale, the Pacific Ocean, and it's tiny. It's also really, really deep. 
you know, the the area around Howland, I think, is roughly like 20,000 feet deep. That's not an easy place to go search, you know, for a tiny little airplane. It's also made out of aluminum. So if it got caught in any sort of current, that would just be torn apart. Um, you know, the the thing, I think, is just that it's, it's a really, really, really big, it's total the proverbial needle in a haystack mm. to mm. find that plane. And you don't see it ever being found, I guess, for those same reasons. I think if anybody's going to find it, it's going to be Bob Ballard. Oh, well. I think, well, I, I know, and I'm not just saying that because he's a National Geographic Explorer and he found the Titanic and all that stuff. Like, he, I kid you not, he has this boat called the Nautilus. And it's like the bat cave, like any kind of underwater detective tool you can think of. It is on that boat. Wow. So he's out there like Bruce Wayne in his bat cave. And he does what he calls a very, I think he calls it like mowing the lawn. He'll pick an area, you know, and mark it off like a big square. And then he just goes, traverses it, goes back and forth with, you know, all of the wonderful underwater, you know, detecting tools that he has. And he will search every inch of that particular spot. And if he finds something, he finds something. If he doesn't, he moves on. Like, he doesn't get attached to, like, but it's not supposed to be here. Right. Like, he's, you know, he's a scientist. And if his hypothesis, you know, the evidence doesn't support it, then he finds he finds another hypothesis. Uh, talking with Amy Briggs, she's the executive editor of National Geographic's History Magazine and the co-host of Overheard at uh, at National Geographic. You know, on March 15th, I basically verbatim plagiarized everything that you wrote about the uh, assassination of Julius Caesar to make it sound like I knew some interesting factoids, interesting <laughs> trivia about the assassination of Julius Caesar. So uh, it turns out uh, he probably didn't say a tu brute, did he? Probably not. I think we have to blame Shakespeare for that. I mean, it's a great line. You know, I'm sure Julius Caesar, wherever he may be, is like, I wish I said that, <laughs> you know. Uh, what did he say? Do we have any idea at this point? Um, there are accounts that were written about it, but they were written like way after his death. Because like a lot of the guys that were writing, like they have different takes on it. Like there's that movie, um, that Japanese movie Rashomon where you have like the different perspectives of the characters, but on the same event, everything's just a oh, little right. oh, bit different. Oh yeah. That's been my experience anecdotally trying to get people that were in the room with me at things to say they saw the same thing I did. That's absolutely true. Exactly. Like this one guy, Suetonius says that like when Caesar dies, he doesn't say a thing. He just is sort of like, uh, and falls over. Um, you know, they have him, they pretty much all say that like he's at the base of this big statue of Pompey and that's where he dies. But there's not a whole lot of consensus mm. of what his last words were. Mm. Well, I mean, again, uh, when you're being stabbed that many times, you may not have time to come up with something something poetic, right? Probably a little busy defending himself, I would <laughs> guess. <laughs> um, you did uh, a really interesting piece, which uh, it's some the kind of thing that you – you and National Geographic do so much of that I would never even thought of, would never even think of, but it was just so interesting. When you think of piracy on the high seas, you generally think of something that's dominated by men. But you did a really interesting piece about a 19th century pirate queen. There were female pirates? Yes, there were female pirates. Um, the one that we we studied with, uh, or we talked about was Cheng Shi who um, was 19th century in China, arguably the most successful pirate of all time, had a fleet of like 
80 estimates vary somewhere between like 60,000 and 80,000 people. So they say that like Blackbeard had like hundreds. So to put it in perspective, there are also these, you know, the golden age of piracy, you know, the Blackbeard era, all that stuff. There was a, a male pirate, this guy, Calico Jack Rackham, and he sailed with two female pirates, um, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. And they, they wind up all getting caught and are taken to Port Royal in Jamaica. And they're, you know, put on trial and Calico Jack is hanged. And then they put his body in a gibbet, like out by the port, you know, as a warning to pirates. But both Anne and Mary were pregnant. So they went to jail. Um, and I believe Mary dies in jail and they don't know what happened to Anne. Some mm. people think she wound up escaping and going to North Carolina. But wow. the sources vary about that. Uh, that's uh, that's wild. Uh, lastly, Amy, um, your Twitter handle, and I do suggest folks follow you on Twitter. There's a lot of interesting stuff on there at Briggs in Space. It, it um, you, 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 I'm guessing, have been following the developments with the privatization of space exploration pretty closely. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious just to get your take on where you think we're going. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. Are you optimistic in terms of uh, the future of the space program? Um, it depends, I think, on what we plan to do with it. You know, um, I think the idea of just taking people up, I mean, you could take people up there for the fun of it, but that feels a little bit like Walt Disney World to me. But at the same time, I think, like, you know, the exploration of the planet was, yes, it was, it was funded by the crown. And, and then private business and for good or ill, but that's how we got to know where things were, are, how, how the different societies around the world connected. You know, if we want to find out what's out there, you know, how what's the harm in having, I think, more, more exploration mm. rather than less. It's mm. a really, really big solar system. It's a really big galaxy. It's a really big universe. You know, is I think there's enough field out there for everybody to play. You know, the the like, I don't know, the stuff that gets me hung up is the like, you know, it's too it's too Bugs Bunny. You're gonna laugh at me. No, but it's like the you know when Daffy Duck gets to you know the planet X and he's like, I claim this, you know, planet in the name of the Earth, and then Marvin the Martian shows up, <laughs> I claim this for Mars, like. How do you get into the like, okay, who owns what out in space because we're people and we're possessive and we want to own things? And how is that? What, what's the challenge there? You know, how do we solve that problem before we even get up there? Because if you're someone like Bezos or Elon Musk or whoever, who name the other rich guy, Branson, you know, who wants to go there, like, you know, they're thinking about right. that. There's right. no way they're not. No, that's but, a, like. That's- yeah, no, it's it's very a valid concern. Is uh, is do we get the same value as of uh, sending uh, Michael Strahan for a ride into space for fourteen minutes that uh, that society did from something like the moon landing? It's difficult to make yeah. a case that we do. You're exactly right. Anything you're working on now that you're excited about that folks can look forward to? Let's see. What are we working on now? So for History Magazine. What are we wrapping up right now? We just wrapped up something cool, and my brain is totally blanking. Hey, that's um, the perils of uh, you know doing radio interviews late at night. Believe me, it's a struggle for me. 
Oh, I am so this one I am really excited about. So this summer in our July August issue, we're doing a piece on Ulysses S. Grant, mm. which I'm super excited about um, because I, I my Civil War knowledge is is pretty good, but my early Civil War knowledge not so good, and like I I wasn't fully aware of how Grant came on the scene and rose up to become you know the the commander in chief of not the commander in chief the commander of all the armies. And so he, you know, he has this fantastic story of like, you know, he graduates from West Point. He's not a great student. He goes into the army and he doesn't love it. And so he leaves in 1854 and he goes and tries to be a farmer and he tries to be a businessman. He doesn't do that well. And then the Civil War breaks out. He's in Illinois and like kind of gets pulled back in and he gets pulled back in. I believe I think he starts out as a colonel and then, you know battle after battle, he just keeps succeeding and getting promoted and getting promoted and winning and winning. And that the story itself is just, it's just fantastic, especially, and I wrote about this in my editor's note, and I'm telling you, this is my, like my summer book club recommendation, mm. even though I don't usually do those things. The, the personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant are so good. They do not read like something a ni- someone in the 19th century wrote. It's not like flowery language. It's not dense. He's like really, really dryly funny, very honest, straight to the point. One of the things that's fascinating is when he's talking about his Civil War battles, a lot of the men he's fighting against, he either knows from West Point or he fought with them in Mexico. So he has all this like insider knowledge of how they're going to you know, they're going to operate in the field and he applies that. And there's this one scene where I think it's the battle of Fort Donaldson. It's one of the early ones. And he defeats, he defeats the Confederacy at this place. And it turns out the guy, the commanding officer of the fort is a buddy of his from college. And so the guy, you know, he comes in and he's like, my, my other commanders left to go to another post. And if I had really been in command the whole time, you would have beaten me. And Grant says something like, if you had been in the command the whole time, I wouldn't have fought the battle the way I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's terrific. You know, I uh, I was at a birthday party for his 200th birthday uh, this week, and I learned a lot about him. And that was the one thing everybody said, is that if there's only one uh, autobiography of a president that you read, it's got to be the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. And I was embarrassed to say that I haven't read it. But uh, you've now reinstilled my resolve to do just that. Amy Briggs, I will uh, I'll look forward to uh, reading you in National Geographic, checking out your your podcast. And again, people could follow you on Twitter at Briggs in Space. I hope we could talk again. I would love to. This was so much fun. I like now I'm like I'm all ready to go. We'll really get that middle of the night thing. <laughs> exactly. Amy Briggs, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
not the part of the week, singing Blinded by the Light. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, you are going to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. So I don't know if you heard the announcement from Bob Brown at the top of the hour news, but um, I don't know if you heard, but James Corden who's the host of the Late Late Show on CBS, is hanging him up. So um, this is a show that um, has some history, going back about 30 years. Before it was James Corden hosting it, it was uh, that other fellow, the Scottish gentleman. Um, uh, what was his name? What was the fellow? The Scottish gentleman. You know Craig something or oh, other. Oh, Craig Ferguson. Ferguson. Craig Ferguson. Ferguson, right. So, and before it was Craig Ferguson, it was um, it was the another Craig, the former host of The Daily Show. Uh, Craig, do you remember that, Craig? That was another Craig. Do you remember? No, I don't remember. Uh, uh, <laughs> he was, uh, and you know, it's funny. I've tried to get that fella back on the show, uh, but uh, Craig Kilborn was the previous host before Craig Ferguson. It was, so it was... Uh, the fellow that's leaving now, before that it was Craig Ferguson, before that it was James, uh, no, it's James Corden, Craig Ferguson, Craig Kilborn, and then before that, I believe it was Tom Snyder, unless there was somebody between Tom Snyder and Craig Kilborn. I don't think it was. I think that's the lineage. Tom Snyder, Craig Kilborn, Craig Ferguson, and now James Corden. Correct. He's now announced that he's leaving in 2023. And, you know, I had a, a novel idea. I, um, you know, it's funny. I'll take you back in time to winter or I guess maybe fall of 2007. That's right. Oh, look, look at this. 2007. Everyone's on their BlackBerry. Everyone's looking at this thing called YouTube, wondering what it is. Uh, everyone's listening to their iPod and saying to themselves, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had a phone that could do the same things that our iPod does? Oh. And nothing will ever replace MySpace. <laughs> I think MySpace was already start on the starting to on the decline by then, but you're right. Yeah. So um, back in 2007, um, it was announced publicly in the press that, that the radio show that I was producing, the Curtis and Kuby show, was going to be replaced by Imus in the Morning. And this was really something because nobody from management would tell us anything. Nobody from management would confirm or deny any rumors. They wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't tell us anything. So we're learning all about the future of our show through the press, it was very demoralizing. You can imagine. I don't know how Curtis and Ron did it. I give them a lot of credit. And and the other guys that were on the show, Curtis, uh, I mean, Curtis, Ron, Warner, George Weber, uh, Babita Hariani, Scott Salato, a couple other people. And what, um, 
you know, so basically, I figure, obviously, Imus had his own producer, Bernard McGurk, an associate producer, and a whole bunch, a whole other staff. So I figure I'm pretty much out of, uh, you know, out of work. Nobody tells me anything. So I'm left to try and figure out what it is that I can actually do. What's my next step going to be professionally and in life? And so every Friday night, there's this group of fellas that I get together with. It was the case then. It's largely the case now. A couple of the cast members have changed, but it's still largely the same group of fellas. And um, I, I'm totally demoralized, just assuming that I'm going to be out of work, right? Just done. And I, I get to my friend Vinny's house, and my friend Mario DeRay, who's there each and every week, he was a staple, one of the sharpest wits that I've ever come across. He says to me when I arrive there, you know, everyone's aware of my situation and my concern over my own situation. Mario says to me, you know, Frank, Vinny and I were talking and we made a list of all your skills. And so far, the only thing we've been able to come up with is that you're able to get up early because I was back then. I was getting up early. I was getting up. I was getting into the radio station around three thirty, between three and three thirty in the morning. So I was getting up by between two and two thirty every day. So five days a week. I mean, it was tough, but you know, I was able to do it. And so Mario says to me, "So we decided that your next profession should be." And really, I got to tell you, the idea did have some appeal. Because milkmen have to get up early, and I was able to get up early. Now, I didn't know anything about the profession of being a milkman, um, but I figured that would sort itself out. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, it never came to that. But I was kind of thinking the same thing with this James Corden situation, right? Now, you might not like me. You know, I might not think I'm the smartest person on the radio or the most entertaining or the best interviewer or the best monologuist or the most intelligent or the best looking or the tallest or the uh, most pleasant to listen to or the one with the best voice, whatever the case may be. However, there's one thing that I don't think you can dispute with me. I am able to stay up late. There's nobody in radio that stays up later than me. Nobody. So I was thinking, wouldn't it be neat if I hosted the Late Late Show? Very good. I think that would be terrific. Uh, So Norm MacDonald, God rest his soul, in 2014 when Craig Ferguson was leaving, he basically went on Twitter to endorse the efforts to get him to be the new host of the Late Late Show. As I understand it, now, they'll probably want to go in another direction, uh, maybe a woman, maybe a minority, or maybe somebody that's actually a little more famous than me, or actually a comedian or something. But maybe they need to do something different, right? There's a year now to figure this out. So I'm going to do the same thing that Norm MacDonald did. And anybody that puts out a tweet suggesting that I be the new host or the next host of the Late Late Show, I will happily retweet that tweet. And if there, if somebody wants to launch a petition to that effect, I'll be happy to share it. And uh, this is something that I think really could get some grassroots legs. 
And uh, the hashtag that develops now it didn't work out so well for Norm McDonald, but I think in some ways Norm might have been a little ahead of his time. So the hashtag that took f- that took hold for Norm McDonald was hashtag late late Norm Norm. So for anyone that tweets about me wanting to be or about why I should be the new host of the Late Late Show. You should include the hashtag late late Frank Frank. Hashtag late late Frank Frank. So anybody that tweets about me, you know, potentially being the next host of the Late Late Show, I will retweet that with my endorsement. Anybody puts out a petition or anything, I will be happy to share it. I think I would be quite good at that, honestly. I, I think I could do that job better than many. Maybe not better than most, but at least better than some. You think? So that's my that's my take. Hey, uh, speaking of Curtis, couldn't believe it. The other day, I'm watching the Mets and the Cardinals. They're mentioning, or at least alluding, to Curtis and the Guardian Angels. So I'm watching SNY, and uh, it's the great telecast with uh, Gary uh, Gary Cohen. And lo and behold, this is what I hear. Not to be confused with the Cleveland Guardians of 2022. By the way, you know it started last night. Yes. The first ever Curtis Sliwa series, the Guardian Angels series. The Guardian Angels, that's too good. Angels beat the Guardians last night 3 nothing, behind Michael Lorenzen. Swing and a miss, and Escobar down on strikes. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Have Curtis mentioned during a Met game. So Curtis um, claims at one point that he was a decent baseball player. And I think that is true because he is a good stickball player and he does know baseball. But uh, I've tried, you know, I've tried to play softball with him a couple times and he has a big, a beautiful red bat, like guardian angel red bat that he brings. And the last time we played, which I think about four years ago, he got hurt. Like, it, within within eight minutes, I got her. I don't think he I took one. I don't think he took one play, and then and then he was sidelined for for months. It led to this uh, this this terrible tailspin. This maybe it's five years ago of health issues for him. So I don't think he plays anymore. But he said he was going to go to the next time the Mets play the Cardinals and bring his guardian angel red bat to try and get more more attention. But that's kind of cool to be mentioned in uh, in a New York Mets telecast as part of the Curtis Lee City series, the Guardians versus the Angels. I thought that like was that? neat. Uh, and so give me a call. Tell me what you think. Do you think that I have a chance at getting this gig hosting the Late Late Show? And if I do, you know, how do you think I would do there? Or is this just a pipe dream on my part? I think, you know what, I really think this could take off. I really do. You know, because I really feel James Corden is great, but he's, you know, he's British. I feel like the country of America, the United States of America, to be specific, they're almost ready for an American, right? Don't you think America is almost ready for an American? I don't mean to be xenophobic, but sometimes people don't want the, the whole British thing. You know, and it's not like I'm replacing Tom Cruise. James Corden He's not like a super handsome guy. I would think I'm at least on a par with James Corden. I think we're of average attractiveness. Now, of course, he can sing and dance and everything, which I can't do any of those things. 
But I can make conversation. I think I'm pleasant enough at it. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Jimmy is in New City. Hello, Jimmy. Good morning, Frank. Um, Absolutely. You'd be terrific on the show. In my uh, my opinion, come on. You have a real person. You uh, talk both sides. You take... uh, you know, you you be the best. I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you. Um, I do want to say, um, just on a quick note, the Pirates, you had mentioned Pirates. If anyone out in the audience would wonder why the Pirates have the eye patch, would you know that? No, I, I, I assumed that it was due to eye injuries or C-related C losing their eyes. So think about this. You get the eye patch on. When you go down to fight down below deck, your eye is acclimated to the dark. So you could whip out your sword and fight. Oh, interesting. Oh, so it had nothing. I, mean, it, I read a lot of books and who knows, we could argue back and forth. But hey, it's better than anything else I've ever heard. Ah, I'll take it, Jimmy. I like that. Wait, right so are now, you, did my, you did you read that somewhere or you're making that up? Yeah, I believe that's just something I read. I read Clive Cussler. He's the treasure hunter under the sea. Yeah, and sure. I'm familiar with him. probably came about on one yeah. of those books. Okay. Well, that's um, pretty neat. I did call you a couple weeks ago to tell you that I do like to thumb through a real book. I mean, oh, okay. think about yeah. coming home to a fireplace on a cold day in the winter and sit in a chair with a blanket on your lap and, you know what I mean, read a real book. There's something to that. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jimmy. I'm looking forward. Look, I have kind of a busy weekend, but I'm looking forward to I have this book about the uh, Spanish-American War that I'm hoping to uh, I don't want to say rush through, but at least finish quickly so that I can start one of these Ulysses S. Grant books that I bought yesterday. Excellent subjects, both. Yeah, absolutely. Now, can I get a moment in time just to say something about your friend, if you want to do something for your friend? I live up near Dominic, and I try to get through. I don't know why I got cut off, but I will take his tree down. Well, ISIS contractors up here. I'll be more than happy if you put me on hold or whatever you do. Oh, so, Jimmy, do you have email? Can you email me? In the number. We'll get to take care of it for him. He could buy us lunch. We'll do the one dollar contract. So oh, wow. Uh, no, that's really not. Jimmy, do you, do you have email? It'd be an honor for me. Do, do you that. have email, Jimmy? I do. All right, so can you email me, and I'll connect you with Dominic. If you do furnish me with your email, or yeah. I could just look it up, I guess. And yeah, I'll and no, it I out. mean, it's How very simple. It's very simple. Work. I could figure it out. Yeah, Jimmy, it's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Yeah, and you pass along radio. to your friend, and we're going to take care of him. Yeah, I, I, hey. He that, deserves it, and it's right in my neighborhood there. I was going to buy there, but I bought New City. Um, the deal, you know, was just the deal. Well, that, you know, that's awfully nice. That's up. awfully nice. I'm going to try and yeah, hone yeah, in. It's no big deal. We do it for a living. And, yeah, I'm going to try mean, and hone in on that. Like brothers and family to us. I'm going to try and hone and, in on that lunch if he's buying you guys lunch. So hopefully. Well, I'll... if he does, we'll go to Gilligan's. I know a place up there, Gilligan's. Maybe he wants to. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with. Yeah, I'm not. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, Jimmy, email yeah, me. I'll, I'll connect you. I'll connect you with Dominic. Okay, email me. Frank Morano at wabcradio.com. God bless you and thank you for all your hard work that you do. Oh, you're nice to say that. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight W. WABC. So far, my my chorus, my um, my call to be the new host of the Late Late Show is being met with a chorus of crickets. So far, we have a grand total of nobody calling to endorse that idea. So far, let me check Twitter. Let me check Twitter. Uh, so far, there's a grand total of zero. Point zero tweets about this. So who knows? I may uh, I may have 
I may have I may have gone a little far here. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I have an inflated opinion of my ability to host the late late show. Zero point zero. Nina is in Forest Hills. Hello, Nina. Yes, hi. I love your show. I'm a new listener. Fantastic. Oh, thank you. you. That woman. Oh, it's fantastic. And and oh, good luck with Carmine. I think that's so wonderful, you little guy. Um, Briggs, Ms. Briggs was fascinating. You know, I wonder about. there was with the Titanic. There was a book many years before, sort of um, oracular. It was weird, called the Titan, and it was very strange that it it had uh, every single element of the uh, of the sinking of the ship called the Titan. Did you ever hear of anything of that nature? There no, was, no, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not really an expert in the Titanic. Uh, do, I, I'll, you know, if if you recommend it, I'll be happy to check it out, though. Yeah, if, I think if you just Google it, it'll come up because it's very eerie. Um, what what this author had predicted many years later happened, you know, with the Titanic. And yeah, innovation versus hubris, I guess. Conspirit, you know, it's it's very fascinating. And I have one quick question for you, Frank. Did you ever have a UFO sighting? I know you have. No, very no, uh, never, yeah. never, <laughs> no, I never did. No. Yeah, and it's interesting now that uh, um, now instead of UFOs, they're calling it uh, aerial uh, right UAPs. phenomena. UAPs, yes. <laughs> but I will do your hashtag. I think you'd be great for the uh, late late show. Thank you, Nina. Hashtag late late Frank Frank. Thank you, thank you, Nina. Um, well, those of you that are holding, please continue to hold, and uh, we'll get to you after the top of the hour. Coming up, we got denunciations and uh, my friend Gary Perone, the. General Manager of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Very much looking forward to that conversation. We're just a couple of days away from opening day. I'm looking forward to seeing a few of you there. Hopefully you'll come. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, make sure you help the pet population and get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. We're going to get to denunciations in just a moment, and then we're going to talk with Gary Perone, the general manager of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. I'll give you a little um, perspective, a little history. Gary's a close friend, a close friend that uh, I go back many, many years with, about 22 years in all. I used to work for him as the uh, general manager of the Brooklyn Site. What? No, he was the communications, community relations director at the Brooklyn Cyclones, and I worked for him for three years in varying capacities there, and we have stayed in touch ever since. I I really have such admiration for Gary. He's a a close friend, and uh, I'm thrilled to see him to have this opportunity to be the general manager of this brand-new baseball venture. And uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that uh, coming up in about 20 minutes. Looking forward to that conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing many of you at uh, opening day at the home opener on, on Tuesday. All right. Uh, before we get to denunciations, let me say hello to Al here in New York. Hello, Al. Hey, good morning, Frank. Uh, good morning. I think you do great at that show. 
Uh, personally, I think you need a co-host. I think that woman, uh, Melina something Shibo, you really uh, blend well with her. But if not, you have to have Curtis, your friend from the old show, Al, should announce you. And you should have guests like uh, Shatner, Dr. Sky, maybe Lloyd uh, Lindsay Young, people like that. I think you would do good on that show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Al. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I would love to have Shatner on our uh, on our first show. Hopefully that comes to fruition. Thank you. Um, we'll see what happens. All right. Without further ado, it is time for me to call out the people on the carpet that need some calling out. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. Ah, yes. I must begin by denouncing Extinction Rebellion. Do you know what Extinction Rebellion is? Apparently, I didn't either. It, don't feel bad. It, it was, it's a group of climate change protesters. Now, I like the climate. I like the earth. You know, I, I'm all for clean air and clean water. All for it. Fewer greenhouse gas emissions. All for it. I am not for these guys. These guys are a bunch of bums as far as I'm concerned. A group of these climate protesters that call themselves Extinction Rebellion... They blockaded the printing press for the New York Post on Friday, Earth Day, and they did nothing. I mean, they did nothing to make the Earth a a cleaner place. The only thing they did was keep people that subscribe to not only the New York Post, but the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and USA Today from getting their newspapers that day. I got no New York Post and no New York Times on Friday. I didn't get it till Saturday. And it was all because of these Extinction Rebellion protesters. Uh, Look, I'm all for having a discussion about climate change. I'm all for civil disobedience. But not when you're causing tens of thousands of newspapers not to be delivered. Newspapers are important. And having people informed is important. And... Just just because of your cause that you want to decide to blockade in a whole bunch of newspapers, I shouldn't have to deal with the consequences of that. Sorry, Extinction Rebellion. Um, they've, they've lost my support, that's for sure. All right. I want to denounce Russell Squire. Uh, Russell Squire is a community board chair and former corporate lawyer who is currently running for New York State Assembly here in Manhattan as a Democrat, and he is blatantly flouting New York State's campaign finance law, which is meant to reduce corporate dark money in New York elections. Now, already the New York State law is pretty lax. There are not many regulations. And this jabroni, Russell Squire, is flouting the few regulations we actually do have. He has so far accepted that we know of two illegal five-figure corporate contributions in recent months. He received $10,000 in 2021 and another $10,000 in 2022 from an LLC named Techmarion Capital GP. It just so happens that Squire's brother, Zachary Squire, is currently the chief investment officer at Tech Marion Capital, a hedge fund 
that he founded about five years ago. Um, I don't know about you, but if this guy is going to be so brazen about breaking campaign finance law while he's a candidate, why would you ever trust him with the public trust? Why would you ever send him to the state assembly? I don't know who else is running in this district, but if I lived in that district, I wouldn't vote for that guy. I want to denounce NBC News. Have you been watching Jeopardy over the course of the last 18 days? Matea Roa, um, Matea Roach, I believe is her name, is on a tear. She's won, I think, 18 games straight. Uh, she's won over $300,000. She's doing phenomenally well. I didn't see today's game, but I think she won, or uh, Thursday's game, but I think she won Thursday as well. She's killing it. She, this is one of the most impressive Jeopardy streaks ever. I mean, this is on not quite Ken Jennings level, but it's rapidly approaching James Holtzauer and Amy Bursar and a couple of the other great Jeopardy champs that we've seen over the years. And NBC News put out a tweet about her. And she's only 23 years old. You imagine that? 23 years old. And she's incredible. Incredible. NBC News uh, put out a tweet about her. This is how they described her. This is how they described her in the tweet. Quote, the 23-year-old lesbian tutor from Toronto. Now, do you know what's missing in that tweet? Her name. Her name. They put out all about her winning streak. They didn't even mention this woman's name. They have summed her up as 23-year-old lesbian tutor from Toronto. Now, I knew she was from Canada. Um, I knew she was a tutor. I didn't know that she was a lesbian. Uh, And I watch the show just about every day. Now, it's possible in one of the mid-show back-and-forth segments that they might have said she might have made an allusion to her girlfriend. Uh, If she did, I missed it. But I watch the show every day, and I didn't know that she was a lesbian. You know what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if she's uh, fictosexual. But NBC News felt that that was so important that they had to highlight above all things. And NBC News is rapidly blasting that, bla- uh, being blasted by critics. One, uh, you know, people asking, how is her sexual orientation really relevant here? I mean, I I thought that was shameful on the part of NBC News. And I do denounce you. I do. And I must also denounce the Empire State, New York. I hate to do it. I've lived here my whole life. Very proud New Yorker. Always have been. Always will be. Unless I'm publicly disgraced, then I might have to go somewhere in hiding. But until then, I'm I'm sticking around. Um, Anti-Semitic attacks in New York are at the highest level in decades. Last year, there were 51 assaults across the state. That is a record since the Anti-Defamation League began compiling data on this in 1979. So we have broken the record for anti-Semitic attacks here in New York State. Nice job, New York. I do denounce you. I must also denounce these horrible, horrible bullies 
in Connecticut, a, a, I, I, I had a tough time even reading this story. Uh, I, it's going to be very difficult for me to read it to you uh, because even when I was reading it silently, I, I got very emotional reading this. But uh, let me give it my, a shot here. A, a six-year-old boy was left badly burned after his mother says a bully soaked a ball in gasoline lit it on fire, and hurled it at him. Quote, this is what Maria Rua wrote on Facebook, sharing a a photo of her son Dominic with his head um, wrapped in bandages. My son was lit on fire. The attack sent Dominic to a nearby burn unit where he's being treated for second and third degree burns on his face and his legs after getting struck with the fireball on um, on Sunday in uh, in Bridgeport. I uh, find this absolutely disgusting and reprehensible. The Connecticut State Police Fire and Explosion Investigation Unit is investigating the incident alongside the Bridgeport Fire Marshal's office. Uh, the mother, Ms. Rua, said that an 8-year-old neighbor who has bullied her children before through the flaming ball at Dominic. I don't know how someone gets raised to the point of being so evil at eight years old that they're hurling flaming balls at their neighbors. Uh, I mean, that's just reprehensible. I don't know where the the parents of that other boy are, um, but I am denouncing that eight-year-old neighbor and his parents. Uh, I'm also denouncing Target. Uh, the, uh, some of you call it Target, but I think the proper word, I, the proper pronunciation is Target. The big box store. My wife goes to Target. I, I have no interest in it, but she went to Target yesterday with the goal of buying some clothing, and because I guess Target also sells groceries, buying a couple of groceries. So she goes there. I'm home with the baby. And she comes back very frustrated. And she wasn't able to purchase her clothes because Target still does not let you go into their dressing room and try on the clothes. This is still one of the restrictions that they have in place from the COVID lockdown. How crazy is this? Everyone's walking around this store without masks. There's no vaccine requirement or anything like that. Life is back to normal, except at the dressing room at Target. So she didn't buy the clothes. She's buying them online. She's going to try them on. And if they don't fit, she's going to send them back. And then to add injury to insult. She, you know, she's part of this program. I don't understand how these things work, but she's part of this program where you enter your receipt online of what you spend or you scan it online and you you earn points for your purchases at Target. The receipt that they gave her was so um, faded, the ink was invisible, that there was no way that you could enter that, denun- that uh, receipt into your your system. So that is a double denunciation for Target.
One, for keeping their dressing rooms closed. Two, for giving her a receipt that no one can read. I want to denounce a whole bunch of uh, ten, precisely, ten former members of the Colombian military. They have now publicly acknowledged their role in the 2007 and 2008 killings of more than 100 civilians who were falsely portrayed as armed group members killed in combat with the army. These admissions were made Tuesday during a a historic public hearing of the Special Jurisdiction for Peace Tribunal um, near Colombia's border with Venezuela, where the killings took place. The tribunal was created under a peace deal between the Colombian government and and the rebels. And it's meant to try former combatants doling out alternative punishments in exchange for full disclosure of incidents that took place. So what these members of the military did, including a former general, a former general, if you can believe that, a former general, four colonels and five other army officials, along with one civilian, they participated in the kidnapping of 120 youth from a town and neighboring communities to kill and later present them as members of left-wing guerrilla and other armed groups that operated in the area. I want you to understand what these people did here. They lied to these civilians that they were going to give them a job. Now, these were not combatants. These were not leftist guerrillas. These were not armed, you know, insurrectionists. These were just normal, everyday young, young, I'll call them kids. They were kids. And they said, hey, come with us. We're going to give you a job. Instead, they kidnapped them, murdered them all, and then claimed that these were combat fatalities. Uh, This is by their own admission. Uh, I mean, one person said, we killed innocent people, peasants. I want to emphasize this. Those we killed were simple peasants. And... I find this just reprehensible. They did this so that they could advance in the Colombian military. They wanted to look like they had more kills. They wanted to look like they were better soldiers. And this tribunal has the authority to offer alternatives to jail time to people who confess their crimes and make reparations. How do you make reparations for killing 120 innocent people? I don't know. I don't know. Um, It'll be interesting. I'm now following this tribunal very closely because I had no idea. I'm embarrassed of my own ignorance, but I had no idea this was even going on. And I find this really uh, just totally, totally reprehensible, if you ask me. Um, All right. I want to denounce Blue Triton. Blue Triton is the owner of Poland Spring and other brands of water packaged in plastic. They stated in a court filing that its claims of sustainability are vague and hyperbolic. So in ongoing litigation over the greenwashing of plastic recycling, the bottled water company Blue Triton made this very revealing argument. Its claims of being environmentally friendly aren't violations of the law because they're aspirational. What? What what a joke. 
What a joke. Hey, I, I'm trying. That's like me saying I, I'm practicing my ping pong game. So I'm actually a professional level ping pong player. It's not a lie. It's aspirational. So this company, which makes Poland Spring, Pure Life, Splash, Ozarka, and Arrowhead, among many other brands, it, they contribute hundreds of millions of pounds of plastics to U.S. landfills every year. Every year. And yet they're running around acting like they're this green company, the kings of sustainability. When it's all a crock. They were lying to the public in order to sell their product because that's the hip thing to do now, to be green. And they're not. They're not. They're lying. And then their argument in court is, oh, we're not lying it's our aspiration. We're going to get there in the future. Give me a break. Blue Triton, I do denounce you. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't like to denounce other radio talk show hosts because I say so many dopey things on a daily basis that the last thing I want is for people to be listening back to the things that I say and say, oh, Frank, you know, you said something horrible. Uh, I so I try not to do this except under extreme circumstances. The case of Randy Bishop is one such extreme circumstances circumstance. Randy Bishop is a media personality in Michigan. He hosts a show. He calls himself Trucker Randy. He said during a recent broadcast that a family should be a white mom, a white dad, and white kids. Now, that's horrible. I mean, that's just blatant racism. How do you paint it as anything other than that? What are you saying to the black people in Michigan, where apparently this guy's running for state senate, if you can believe that? You're saying you don't count? that, or You're not really part of a family? Give me a break. So Bishop made the comments on an episode of his radio show called uh, Your Defending Fathers. During his racially charged rant, he noted that every commercial has a biracial mom and dad. Can't even watch your college basketball tournament without commercials telling me I have to feel guilty because I think a family should be a white mom, a white dad, and white kids. They want us to die and go away, and they're going to try to do it through politics this year. Well, we've got to be... Just as smart. Yes, Mr. Bishop, when it comes to smart, you're exactly what I think of. And finally, I want to denounce the person or persons who robbed a Gristides on the Upper East Side. You know, I don't like theft. I don't like crime. I don't like violent crime especially. But when you rob a Gristides, which is part of our family, part of the Red Apple family... That is below the belt. John Katsimatidis and the the people of Gristides, the staff, the employees, not only do they work hard, but they give so much back to the community. It's one of the most charitable companies that I've ever interacted with, certainly the most charitable company I've ever worked for. And they had an armed robbery at the Gristides store on the Upper East Side. Two of the workers at this Gristides were bound at gunpoint with zip ties. So our owner, they, they only stole, not they only, but they stole 
$3,300 around 10 p.m. and uh, on April 16th. This is terrible. Absolutely terrible. So now uh, our owner, John Katsimatidis, has, is offering a $10,000 reward. And he said in a press conference on this subject yesterday, he said, let one of their friends turn them in, get the 10000 I hope they do, and I hope they throw the book at these people. I, I uh, sincerely do. All right. Uh, we're going to try and talk baseball with uh, Gary Perrone. Uh, our staff says we, they can't get in touch with him. So if, um, if we can't get in touch with Gary Perrone, then who knows what we'll do. We'll see. What will we do? I have it the foggiest. Um, we'll invite you to comment on any of the people that I just announced. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Her hair is soft and her eyes are also blue. The great Elvis Presley singing She's Not You. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, you can always um, give me a call. Uh, excuse me, not give me a call. You can join our Facebook group, uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Uh, that is uh, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Just search that and join our Facebook group and you can contribute on there. And I'll post the music that we play uh, each and every day. Hey, and you know what we've been doing? The station is good enough to uh, replay some highlights of our show on Saturday afternoons from at 4 o'clock. I, um, I ran into Anthony Weiner yesterday and he was telling me, how he's really because he's on with Curtis from two to four, and he he was telling me how he's been really enjoying those four o'clock um, you know highlight shows. So if you have any suggestions for anything we did this week or even in a past show a while back of things that should be in there, email me. We're going to put it together. Matt Blaze and I. Uh, hopefully, Matt Blaze does the bulk of the work uh, right after the show this morning. Uh, so if you have any suggestions about what you'd like to hear again. Saturday at 4 o'clock, you can either email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, or you can call me at uh, 800-848-WABC. Uh, meantime, Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. Hey, how are you, Frank? Great, thank you. Um, I love these denunciations that you do because these people, they need to be called out. The situation in Bridgeport, Horrific, as you said, just you cannot believe ch children are doing such things. So um, heartbreaking. Um, also, um, in regards to the robbery at Gristidi's, mm -hmm. 
it breaks my heart that any employee at any store goes through something like that. And and you're right. You think of all the good that Mr. and Mrs. Katsimatidis do. And and, and the like, staff at Christini's, honestly. It's a, it's a great grocery staff. Absolutely. I wish they had Christini's out here on Long Island. And, you know, there are things about people. I don't know them. I know of them by listening to your station and, and hearing things. But Sid Rosenberg did it an interview with Margot Katsimatidis uh, one morning when they were um, highlighting women during, I guess, Women's History Month. And she was very modest and, and just like a really nice woman. And I'll never forget the last thing she said. He asked her, "Did you do you wake up some mornings and you can't believe that, you know, you are in the position that you're in in life. You know, did you ever think you would be this wealthy? I don't think he said, did you ever think you'd be this wealthy? But that's what he was intimating. And she said, and she was honest in this. She wasn't trying to, you know, make herself look great. What came out of her mouth was so spontaneous. She said, no, I I think the opposite. I think, what am I going to do today? To help others, yeah. Well, and and you know, get, having getting to have got have getting the opportunity to get to know Margot as I have over the last, uh, I'd say about eight eight or nine years, I could tell you that's absolutely true. She's an incredibly um, modest person, and believe it or not, John is too. Actually, yeah. you know, um, and uh, it really, uh, yeah. But uh, again, no, no, no employees of any store should be robbed at gunpoint and. And and held hostage with zip ties. But uh, when you think of a staff that does more for the community mm-hmm. than Gristides and the Red Apple staff, I, I it just makes it even more of an egregious crime. But thanks for mentioning that, Mary Beth. And may I mention? May I ask you one question? Sure. Please? When you said you're going to rerun uh, segments, on yeah. The so so on four okay. o'clock we're, on four o'clock on Saturdays. So, so tomorrow four p.m. Tomorrow, Saturday afternoon, right before Vinnie Madunio, right after Curtis Lewa and Anthony Weiner, they're going to play an hour of this show. Mm-hmm. And so we want to pick something really compelling, really interesting that for folks that are not awake at 3.30 in the morning will make them mm-hmm. want to listen to the show and want to download the podcast. And what's a good way uh, for us to expose this show to people that are listening around, you know, Saturday afternoon? That's a good idea, and and I wanted to compliment you on, like, I love your segments, but the one on the Shroud of Turin was, that was amazing. I I loved that. I I learned so much, and it was just so intriguing and how the man became interested in this. Yeah, well, I I agree. So maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll run, we'll rerun that one. Okay, well, best to you. Have a have a good rest of the day, Frank. Thank yeah. you for everything. Thank you very much, uh, Mary Beth. Appreciate it very much. All right, um, she's a nice lady there, isn't she? All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, hi, yes. Frank. Hi, Tom. I'd like to say that uh, one. I think that the the game that's going to be on the Ferry Hawk should be broadcast over your station, uh, WABC. And the other, I wonder if they'd ever put a dome 
over the stadium in uh, in the in the your, uh, your borough. Yeah, um, I don't think so. Right? I mean, the stadium the 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 way it exists now is I, I don't think they can just add a dome to it. I mean, well, it's, I, it's it's lousy because if they put a dome, it means it's very usable in bad weather. Yeah, that's stuff. a good point. That's a good point. I don't think, again, because Gary didn't pick up the phone when we called well, him, I can't ask him that. But because uh, I don't think there are any plans to do that. None, none, none that I've heard. Well, that's well. Maybe this telephone call could make people think about it. There you anyway. go, Tom. Food for thought, if ever there was one, huh? Well, yeah, they, it, it would be a good thing to, if it ever happened, though. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, that's for sure. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. All right, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Open open lines if you want to comment on anything that we've been uh, we've been covering. Let me run this by you. <sighs> I was on the fence about whether I should bring this up. And honestly, if Gary had been here for his, at his appointed time and I was talking to Gary right now, then I wouldn't have brought it up. But the reality of this show is you get what's on my mind, more or less, whether that's aliens, whether that's baseball, whether that's pro wrestling, whether that's ranked choice voting, whether that's, you know, an obscure Elvis Presley movie. Um, so there's been something that's weighing on my mind for the last week or so, especially. And I, I'm curious as to how you would deal with this. So I have a friend of mine, relatively new friend, but we're friendly. I, I meet her to her. We'll call her Sheila. I meet her about five, six months ago. Nice girl. Um, but I do notice that whenever I've inter- interacted with her around alcohol, even if it seems like she only has a couple of drinks, she seems to get very drunk very quickly, almost to the point of slurring. And now, meanwhile, maybe that means she's drinking before I get there. I mean, these are limited interactions. And uh, she came over to our house one time and she was, you know, very good company. And she's a very nice person, by and large. But there is this issue where she just seems to be, and this was the first thing that raised a red flag with me, a problem drinker. Um, And now I I consider myself a heavy drinker, but I, I, and maybe this is my own self-denialism, I don't think I'm a problem drinker, honestly. I, I mean, I just survived 44 days without touching a drop of alcohol, but. Um, this is someone that I was wondering, you know, maybe we should do something about in terms of an intervention or speaking to her family or something of that nature. And she's gone through a lot. You know, I don't want to chronicle her personal difficulties, but she's gone through a lot. And then maybe about a month or so ago, I meet her at, b- before the show, I think. And she, I was going to meet her for <clears throat> for a, a cup of coffee or a quick bite. She's already drunk, already sloshed. And I said, Sheila, let me take you home. I have to go to work anyway. I'll take you home. And she said, no, I don't want to go there. You know, uh, can I come to the station with you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So um, 
I, I said, well, where do you live? She points right there. She was right next to where she lives. I said, well, you should go home. No, I don't want to go home. Well, where do you want me to take you? She said, well, I think I need to go to the hospital. So, really? For what? She says, well, I don't really want to get into it. So I take her to the hospital, drop her off at the hospital. She remains admitted in the hospital. Maybe this is about two months ago. Remains admitted in the hospital for about um, four or five days. Not really clear why she's in the hospital. I visit her in the hospital. I brought her some stuff, you know, some some snacks or whatever, change of clothes, whatever. Uh, and this is someone that in the grand scheme of things I barely know. So, but and someone that I like, I want to be clear, very nice woman. So there's that. Then on another occasion, so that was a little odd that she has me check her into a hospital. Not check her in, but drop her off at a hospital. Another occasion... She flies off the handle with um, a friend of mine just going nuts in terms of sending nasty text messages to my friend and then to me about my friend. I'll spare you the details of that incident, but it was a total non-incident that she created. Then Sunday comes around, Sunday evening. I try to nap for about an hour around 7.30 on Sunday evening. I wake up from my nap. She's called me 12 times. 12 times. Um, I go to shower and get ready to go to my car and go to work. By the time I get to my car after getting showered and dressed, she's called another five times. This is in addition to dozens of text messages, WhatsApp messages, emails. By the time I get to the radio station, I have 42 missed calls. 42 missed calls. And she calls the radio station looking for me. Not about to take that call because this is clearly someone I think is unhinged. So... She sends me dozens of emails, dozens of text messages, dozens of WhatsApp messages, dozens of Instagram messages, dozens of Facebook messages. And, you know, I'm totally freaked out by this, totally freaked out by this. And so I um, I email her back. I said, Sheila, there's this is totally unacceptable. I said, you know, if I don't pick up the phone when you call. There's a reason I'm not picking up the phone. Either I'm working, I'm sleeping, I'm taking care of my son, or I'm busy. Um, Calling me and trying to reach me through five other forms of communication, that is completely unacceptable. And I said, by the way, I really do think you have a bit of a drinking problem that you may want to have addressed. So um, a few hours later... She sends me an S, uh, whatever message. I, I think it's a WhatsApp message. Send me a WhatsApp message. Um, basically saying that she has severe bipolar disorder and sending me an article on how to deal with people with bipolar disorder. So that was Monday morning. 
Now, since then, there have been two mild other episodes where she's just, I mean, again, Tuesday, she's perfectly fine. Then um, Wednesday and Thursday, she's doing her thing where she's sending me dozens of messages bad-mouthing people. Now, my wife is totally freaked out about this, totally freaked out. She does not want to be around her at all. She said, no, you know, do not invite her to anything. Do not invite her to our home again. I don't want to be around this person, and I don't think you should be. And she said, you know, my wife, this is, says to me, I love you, but I think part of your problem is you become very good friends with people very quickly. And this comes from, and she was very sincere. She says, I know this comes from a good place. But um, you allow people into your inner circle without a proper vetting process, even though there were all sorts of red flags with certain people. And it's not just this person, Sheila, you know, it's other other people as well. And she said, my suggestion is that you not do that. Um, And so now I do believe this person has bipolar disorder and I do believe that. You know, she said she was going to the doctor to have her medication readjusted. And part of the reason why I think alcohol has such a severe effect on her is because I think she probably is on medication. Um, So now I'm left wondering, what do I do here? Right now, uh, she was trying to meet up with me a day or two ago. And then she was sending me all sorts of emails complaining about, hey, how come I wasn't invited to ping pong on Saturday or, yeah, Saturday? And she said, is Rachel blocking me? You know, is Rachel, you know, the problem? And meanwhile, I said, Sheila, this is totally unacceptable. I cannot have you um, bad-mouthing my wife. And this is not like a spurned lover or somebody or something. This is somebody that I've never had anything but a platonic relationship with. So my question is, what do I do with this person? When Do I still try to be friends with this person? Or am I at a point where I have to block her on all forms of communication, which I hate to do. I hate to do that, especially for someone that seems like they need help. But I'm also really not at a point in my life where I can spend very much time Helping someone that needs this amount of time, attention, and maintenance. So, um, you know, unlike a lot of the other subjects that we cover on this show, should we bring back Tab? Uh, who's the greatest Star Trek captain of all time? Is it bald-faced liar or bold-faced liar? Um, so on and so forth. This is, a, you know, a very real concern. That I have. And I would love to hear how you think it should be addressed. What would you do if you're in my position? Nocturnal hours, wife, five month old, as busy as can be. And now I have on my plate trying to get the uh, late, late show at when James Gordon leaves. And I'm not in a position to be able to deal with this person but at the same time it does feel a little unchristian like to turn my back on this person so i've been 
wrestling with this a great deal for the last couple of months, but especially this week when these episodes have become more pronounced. So what would you do? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me know uh, what you think. Uh, You can comment on uh, any of the other subjects that we've covered as well. Um, Andy is in Queens. Hello, Andy. Hello. Uh, Can you hear me? Perfectly, Andy. Okay, good. the reason um, I attended an engineering conference and the subject came up uh, and uh, it was asserted that the reason that the Titanic sank was the same reason the Challenger blew up. Um, I thought you would be surprised. Well, I am. Well, what was it? I mean, the Challenger didn't hit an iceberg. Um, right. Um, but uh, it was a material science uh, issue um, that what happens is when a lot of materials when they get cold get brittle uh, and of course the water was cold and the uh, Titanic was in really cold water and so it was like shattering glass um, the uh, Challenger blew up because the grommets um, the rubber linings got brittle interesting um, Interesting. I, I didn't know that, uh, Andy. I'm going to have to look into that a bit closer. Thank you very much. You know, speaking of the Titanic, uh, one listener, Lauren, emails me, if the folks on the Titanic had not turned down or off the radio, um, hmm, was it you, Frank, or Curtis? That's very funny. You know, there actually is a very important nexus with the history of radio and the Titanic. It has to do with David Sarnoff. And uh, we'll, we'll we'll cover that on a future show because that is an interesting, interesting segment. And I want to make sure that I I say I del- relay it accurately. All right. Uh, tell me what you think I should do with this person that clearly has some issues. And I'm not really sure how to handle them, to be honest. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Good morning, Frank. Uh, yeah, about the person who's bipolar. Clearly, she's not taking her medicines. I know bipolar people, and as long as they take the medicines, they're fine. But every now and then, they get the idea that I don't need it. I don't need these medicines. These doctors are poisoning me. And this might be what she's doing. She's going off and then going on benders. But you got to be careful, Frank, because you never know how crazy these people are. I mean, she knows where you live and all this stuff. I think you might have to, if, if this has been more than a couple times, it be an ongoing thing. You know, it's like a bad, a bad marriage. You just got to you got to cut it off. You can't be like seeing your ex-wife every week or something. It doesn't work. Yeah. So you say just have no further contact. Well, let her know that she can when she stays under meds six months. But until she's got some kind of clarity going on, this could be dangerous. You know, you never know. See, that's the problem. You never know if they're Jekyll or Hyde. Right. That's the problem. Right. You know? What was that uh, movie with uh, Michael Douglas and that woman where she, she boiled a rabbit? I think that was Fatal Attraction. Right. You know, she's not a lover, but she's in love with you, not sexually or whatever, but mentally she needs you just as much as a lover. You know what I'm saying? You don't um, call somebody that many times unless you're really upset. Yeah, but I don't know that I'm the only person she does this with. I think she may do this with multiple people. 
and she might be dangerous to multiple people. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, I know you're a really nice guy, apparently, and all that, but you you got a family you got to take care of. Well, thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Walter is in Yonkers. Hello, Walter. Uh, yes, I, I agree with the previous caller because I'm going through that situation right now. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, it's been it's uh it's been ongoing for a couple of years now. In my case, you know, because she lives nearby, and uh, and then she moved uh she moved you know a couple of blocks away, you know, miles away, but she still calls me, texts me, and emails me, whatever. But my best advice is slowly, you know, your case is different because you're married, you have kids, a kid, and stuff like that, but. Slowly, you know, move away. And she does it with several people, too. So so what did you, what did you do? What did you got. do, Walter? Well, I, you know, I occasionally she comes to see me or, you know, I never go see her because my problem was uh, I had to move and live in with her for a month. Well, why did you have to and move in I with her? I knew I had to get up. Who was this person? Was oh, this... I had to move in because uh, I had a situation that I had to move out, and I needed a place to stay. So she offered it to me. So I said, okay. And then uh, quickly, as soon as I moved in, quickly I was looking for a place to move out because I knew how she was mm-hmm. or is. Mm-hmm. So slowly I began, you know, I don't pick up her calls or make an excuse. My phone wasn't working. Or I didn't get your email, or something like that. But it's 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 really a dangerous situation because you never know with people like this. They can you know fly off the handle, do anything, you know. So yeah, well, th- slowly, th- slowly but surely. Thank you, Walter. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, we'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Thank God it's Friday. It's the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I am. Uh, hey, I uh, had a great time last night at uh, Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens. Uh, had a great dinner there, uh, put on by my friend Arthur Idala. Um, a, a really a star-studded cast of folks came. Uh, my old boss Jerry Crowley was there. Um, Alan Dershowitz was there. Uh, Anthony Weiner. And uh, Frank Setio, the former surrogate court judge, the former uh, chairman of the Brooklyn Democratic Party, 
and uh, a number of other a number of other folks. Arthur's parents were there, who were great. A lot of big listeners of uh, of the show, and uh, everybody was so nice that they put on a feast and a half. You know, Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens. They're so known for the pizza, and I did bring back a tray for the guys here, but and the and the Spumoni, the desserts. Their regular food is great. Like if you sit in the chef's area, it's great. I had these stuffed artichokes were out of this world. This lobster that was just terrific. A salad that was that was great. It was really a uh, a really terrific meal, and it was of course great to see uh, so many so many great old and new friends. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank, I put in the good word. Uh, I, I tagged Ben Winston, the executive producer over at the Late Late Show, and said, you know, you'd be perfect. It's about time they stop hiring people from overseas and put an American in that show, right? That's the one. And on the other thing, on your uh, on your caller or, or the person who keeps uh, contacting you, if they are bipolar, you have to be very, very careful because they can go off the deep end. There's a movie with Clint Eastwood. And it talks about this type of problem, although he went a little different route. Well, it's Play Misty for me. Play Misty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with that picture. He's on the radio in that that picture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like my life story. I'm living that film right now. I know what that's like. It it can happen. Yeah, I'm living that film right now. We'll have to play Misty uh, next week. Let's get it in the music request list. Uh, that is a great film, actually, by the way, and very scary. I actually find, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, the first film Clint Eastwood ever directed. And um, I think that film is scarier than Psycho. And uh, the the film from the 90s, The Cable Guy, is actually loosely based on Play Misty for me. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different story, but it's loosely based on Play Misty for me. And they have one scene in The Cable Guy, again, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, where they're actually watching Play Misty for me as sort of a little tribute. All right. Uh, let me say hello to let me say hello to Bob in Long Beach. Hello, Bob. Yeah, Frank. Uh, let me tell you something. This is like phase of attraction, but you're not getting the benefits of any of this. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. No. I'm getting the privilege uh, of getting, driving people to the hospital. The thing is, you're not getting any benefits. It's ridiculous. You should cut her a brick because you never know when a person. I'm not saying anything bad about the person. I'm not putting the person down, but she is a bit of a you know a case. Right. So what would you do, you Bob? What would you her. do? You got Well, I make sure you know. I would make sure she, my family was safe, and I have uh, you know in my house I would have weapons because you have to because. Uh, you have crazies. I mean, uh, Glenn Close, Close, I mean, and they were involved. But she might just be a head case. I mean, you know, you're a nut magnet. You know what a nut magnet is? Oh, yeah. Well, that is true. Most of my friends are a little <laughs> off. That's true. That, well, that's true. Nut magnet. Another thing, when you do the lab report, look up the Purple Gang in Detroit. They're a fascinating bunch. The Racket Report. Yeah. But By the way, we will um, – if you haven't listened – yet please check out my most recent interview with angel Gotti in the most recent uh, most recent edition of the racket report you can either listen on wabcradio.com or just search the racket report wherever you get your wherever you get your podcast tony's in east hanover uh tony now you actually are bipolar yeah frank yeah i've uh, i've suffered from it for uh for 20 or 25 years actually 
So give me your advice on how to handle this. Well, first of all, there's two kinds of bipolar. There's bipolar one and bipolar two. The one, the bipolar one is the one where the mood swings are like, you know, huge, where they go into manic episodes that go, you know, buying cars, going crazy. And then they go into a deep, deep depression. Bipolar two is a more mild form. That's the one I have. Has she shown any, uh, any indications of being violent? No, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, listen, anybody could do anything, you know, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think you have to worry. Well, but I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. But so what should I do? Uh, Should I continue to communicate with her or should I? Yeah, I would, I would continue to communicate with her, set some guidelines and just say, listen, Uh, uh, I I, I could say that when, when you get into one of your episodes and I'm not going to respond. Yeah, or, or just, you know, one phone call. I mean, you know, that's it. I don't need to hear you 43 times. Yeah. You know, I know that, you know, and I'll get back to you when I have a moment. But, right. You right. know, because um, most uh, most of them aren't violent. Yeah. I yeah. think what, uh, what the other callers are talking about, there's like, it sounds like a psychotic. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think, uh, unlike in your case, Tony, I think they're basing their advice on movies uh, so i appreciate right, hearing from right. you thank okay. thank you tony and i'm glad you're doing well at least i hope you're doing well hey um those of you that are holding i will get to you and we'll cover some other issues and give away a thousand dollars hopefully next hour until then uh in the words of the great bob grant your influence counts so use it this is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano? They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Friday, TGIF. Hey, I'm excited. Um, this after th- this evening, my siblings, my three siblings, are going to have our traditional premarital sibling dinner. As I've explained before, whenever one of us gets married, and this is, my brother Nicholas is getting married in June, so he's only the second of us to get married, Whenever one of us gets married, we the four of us have dinner, just the four of us, and we have all these traditions. We have an airing of grievances and a bunch of other things, right? Um, but um, it's uh, – so we're not going to the same place that we went to for my premarital dinner, but we're going to a place in Brooklyn because that's more convenient for Nick. I mean it's more convenient for me too, not to come all the way into Midtown, but it um, it is what it is. So I'm looking forward to spending time with them, but meantime – I I had forgotten that I told another friend that I would meet him this afternoon. So I'm going to be exhausted by the time I get to this dinner. Thankfully, they um, we have no post-show meeting today, which I'm excited about. Hey, uh, Matt Blaze, how did you like that uh, pizza from Spumoni Gardens? You said that was the first time you ever had it? It was the first time, and it was really good. It had a little bit of a different taste to it. Yeah, it's a totally distinctive style. It's like half the cheese. It seems like it's only like half there, but it's... 
It's well, not. It, the it, cheese is, it's like... It, or thinner they, or it's they something don't, different. They don't say much about how they do it. It's the secret recipe. Somebody was right. actually killed over it. Um, I'm not joking. You can look this up. You <laughs> wow. can look it. But, um, but the the cheese is apparently underneath the sauce. Oh. More like a tomato pie. Is Almost, yes. It's very similar right. to yeah. a South Jersey tomato pie. Right. So, you know, um, I do homemade pizza, and that's how I make oh, it. Oh, really? You yeah. Do the upside, they call it upside down style yeah, that's, or L&B style. You that's know? how my dad learned it from an old uh, high school girlfriend of his. That's nice. You know, I, I um, you can thank, if you if you run into Arthur Idala, you could thank him for that, because I was, I was going to pay, and then the staff at the restaurant said, no, if you're with Ar- Arthur... Then forget about it. It's it's you know it's on it's on him. He's got it. So so I didn't even have to buy the pizza today, which is nice. Hey, um, I, Matt Blaze, I feel like you're a bit of a a hermit. I, I absolutely am. By the way, uh, Avery, what was, what was your review of the um, Spumoni Gardens pizza? Your review of the pizza. My review. Yes. Uh, oh, it was pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, I, it took us a lot to get that. To get that review, but I'm glad. I'm glad we got. All right, Matt Blaze. When so do you? Do you walk around Manhattan? No, you don't. I come here as least <laughs> amount of time as I possibly could. I stayed away. You know, I worked in the city for many years. I stayed away for ten years, and now I'm back. So I do not walk around. So you're not. A, you wouldn't call yourself a big fan of New York no. culture and no. Okay, All it right. was one of those things growing up. You know, because I grew up in Rockland, it was like when I become vage, I'm going to work in New York City. The first job I had was a big deal. Oh my God, I work in the city. That novelty wore off after a month of commuting over the George Washington Bridge, then having to All take right. the path train. So you don't like it. okay. So um, so you don't do a lot of walking around Manhattan. No. Have you either recently or in the in the distant past? No. Have you interacted? With homeless people or panhandlers. Yes. You have. I now, have. When one of them asks you for money, what are the, whatever the circumstances, if they're on the sidewalk, if they're on the train, do you give them money? Uh, if I have change, which I don't anymore, I would give them money. In fact, I gave money one time when I was in college. I got off the train, Metro North train in Connecticut. And this guy came up to me and he said to me, I don't care what you call me. I don't care if you call me a drunk. I don't care if you call me a bum. I don't care what you call me. But can you spare some change? And I reached into my pocket, and I had this big handful of change. I was a college kid, and I gave him a whole handful. And he looked at me, and he goes, if you didn't have that hair in your face, I could kiss you. (laughs) See, that's funny. (laughs) I said, thank you. Um, See, I'm hesitant, given our experiment with asking how the pizza was to Avery, hesitant to ask the same question on the homeless thing. But Alex Barnard, do you you give money to homeless people? Oh, boy. This is going to make me look like a terrible person compared to him. Um, You know... I, like Matt, I don't have change really anymore, and I never actually used to really carry change around at all. Um, and, but you live in Manhattan, though. Right. All right. So, I mean, it sounds like the answer to my question is no, you do no. not give money to them. So, the Carl, there's no wrong answer here. This is a, a judgment-free zone. I'm not judging anybody except the the fictosexuals. Um, <laughs> what, um, why do you not give money to homeless people? Oh, um, I'm, I don't know. I think I'm just, I've always been kind of a little hesitant about people c- 
coming up to me on the street in general. It's very, uh, you know, it's my New Yorker in me. Well, I, I have my so, headphones in. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want anyone coming up to me. If they really do come up and, like, try and get my attention, if I'm, like, standing there doing nothing and I just happen to have a dollar, I'll give it to them. But otherwise, if I'm walking and I have my headphones in, don't talk to me. So you don't give money because you don't want to stop and take the 30 seconds to interact with them because you're in a hurry. Always, yeah. That, that's what it is. It's not about fear or making a decision about anything like that. Never, no. Okay. All right. Now, I don't. Uh, there was a time in my life when I did give money to homeless people that I asked. I don't. I haven't done it in years, unless the one exception. And I don't know if they're homeless, but they're certainly panhandlers. If I'm on the subway and someone is performing. And it's a good performance, whether it's a song or sometimes they do the dancing. I know it's totally illegal. They're not allowed to do it, but I, I just love it. Or some crazy drumming or whatever, so even some poetry. If they're entertaining me for my subway ride, yeah, then I'll give them a dollar or something. Because I feel like I'm I'm paying for to be entertained. They're delivering a service for me. And it's a service that I actually want, unlike the, the squeegee men of yesteryear. I don't give money to homeless people, one – just like uh, Matt plays, because I don't – a lot of times I don't have change or cash on me often. Two, just like Alex Bernard, I'm in a hurry. Three, because I um, I don't really want to incentivize panhandling. I guarantee you that guy is not paying taxes on the money that he is making begging for cash all day for um, – and, well, sorry, but corollary to three – I almost feel like by giving him money, that continues to incentivize his panhandling. And then I guess I don't know if we're up to four or five. But lastly, I feel like very often and you can tell when this is the case or not. Very often that money is spent on either booze or drugs. Now, I'll tell you what I do do and what I can't resist. If I see somebody that's sleeping on the street. Or that's sitting on the street with a, a sign that says, oh, you know, whatever, some tragic story that needs money for bus fare or whatever. And they have a pet with them. Whoa. That's a game changer for me. So what I do then, and what I have done, I mean, I, I do, I don't want to make it sound like I do this every week. I've done it maybe four or five times in my life. But what I'll do if I see someone that's homeless and has a pet, I will go and buy the pet. Uh, dog food. It's usually a dog. It's, so I don't think I've ever bought cat food. I'll go and buy the pet dog food or dog treats and give it to the homeless person for their dog. Because this way I don't want, I don't want the dog to starve. And this way I know that dog food is not going to be used to purchase booze or drugs. So, um, last Saturday or the Saturday before last, I'm in Midtown. With my wife, my brother-in-law, my sister. And I, I go to meet my brother-in-law and take him to where my sister and my wife are. And a guy that I presume is homeless, but certainly a panhandler, stops me. Well, he tries to stop me. I, I just walked by. I didn't even stop. And says, hey, you know, whatever he says. Hey, pal, you know, can you spare spare a dollar or whatever he says? I just walked by. Didn't even didn't even respond. My brother-in-law walks past the same guy, stops, 
gives him a dollar or two. Gives him a dollar or two. Now, I didn't give him any money. Josh did. We didn't discuss it, but it was interesting to me. A couple of things struck me. He's from Long Island, not New York City, where there are fewer homeless people. Maybe he interacts with fewer homeless people. So, you know, or maybe he's just a nicer guy. But then that was all on my mind as I read this Axios column last night. Axios is a news source, and I subscribe to a lot of their email newsletters. And I really like the Axios CEO, Jim Vandehei. I don't want to get into a whole discussion of Jim Vandehei's journalism. And I know, you know, he's he's whatever. I'm sure there are all sorts of things, not all of them good, you could say about his journalism. But he was the founder of two very successful companies, Politico and now Axios. And I find that he's a very good writer. I like a lot of what he writes. So this is what he writes. This is the column. Confession. Well, well into my late 20s, I often flinched. Oh, oh, and just the other thing. Let me let me just interject here. But the last reason that I don't give money to panhandlers, I work really hard for every dollar that I earn. And right after payday, almost every dollar, it seems, is gone. Gonzo. Gone. So. I don't really feel great about taking the few dollars that I have left in my bank account and then giving it to people that didn't work for it, as hard up as they might be. That be. Okay. Let me get back to this. Confession. Well into my late 20s, I often flinched at giving money to a homeless person, rationalizing that I might be enabling laziness or drug use. He writes, my wife Autumn is the opposite. She always gives money and engages every person in need. One day, with the kids in the back seat, she pushed back against my view, saying, quote, if I'm going to make a mistake, I want to err on the side of giving a drug addict money rather than not giving a hungry person means to eat that day. And Jim Vandehei writes, she changed my mind about generosity. More importantly, she inspired our children on their good days to adopt a similar help, don't hide approach to people in need. And then, you know, he writes a lot about leadership, which is something I'm very interested in. And he says this mindset applies to leadership as well as life. We all have chances to help those struggling instead of looking the other way or justifying doing nothing. And then he, he it's an interesting column. Um, you can read it at Axios.com. He goes into the ways that you can, what this might look like in regular life or at work. He says, if you see need, act. If you wonder, ask. Err on the side of generosity. Surround yourself with givers. And always remember, Others are watching. He writes, the bottom line is we try hard to apply these principles at work, paying close attention and swarming when people hit ruts. All of us have this opportunity every day in small, meaningful ways. So two part question for you. This column was very powerful to me. One, because it got me to rethink what I've been doing. Now, I give money to all sorts of charities. I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of uh, a, a Scrooge. 
but and I, I, I don't know, in the, my brain, the charities that I'm choosing to give that money to, they do a better job of funneling my contribution to people in need as opposed to me just giving it to a random panhandler. But this column has caused me, one, to reassess my philosophy of giving money to panhandlers. So my question to you is, do you? Do you give money to panhandlers? Why or why not? 800-848-9222. And reading this column again, and it's funny, I didn't know that I was going to talk about what we spoke about last hour. But reading this column again, it would make me feel like a bit of a cad to turn my back on a friend in need. That's why I'm sort of leaning towards the Tony approach with um, my friend that I was telling you about. And just not engaging with her when she's on one of her episodes and then engaging with her when she's being, you know, uh, I hate to use the term, normal. But let me know on the panhandling and um, and everything else we've been covering. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Ross in the Bronx. Hello, Ross. Hey, Frank. How are you? I haven't talked to you in a while. Hope you're doing well. Um the panhandling thing, I, it depends on how the spirit moves me at the moment. Sometimes, I don't know why, many times I've given people money. And, and, and there's sometimes where, let's say in my neighborhood, there's one guy I give money to once or twice. And after a while, it's like every time I see this guy, Frank, it's like paying the toll, you know? I'm like, you know, do something with yourself. You know, the nothing changes in their life. And then there's other times where I I, I don't even think about it. I just give them money. But then it's just on this. It's just on each situation is 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 whatever. However, it presents itself to me and however I feel within me to do it. I don't think there's any harm in giving anywhere. There's always a reward in that in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, and it's not that you're looking for that on the other end. It's it, it, it's just a good thing. But like I was out with my wife the other night, and we were waiting to meet some friends, and a panhandler approached me, and he asked me for uh, for a dollar. I said, you know, he said he gave him a dollar, and he says, can you give me two? And I got really annoyed. <laughs> I just say, look, you know, take a walk. You know, that's it. You know, I I think though. Um, and I learned it from my father. My father was a very generous man. Sometimes my father would just buy them a couple of hot dogs, or, or you know, and, and, and say, you know, you know, whatever you want, you know, it's on me, you know, figuring this way. At least they're eating, and the money isn't going for drinking or drugs, you know. But um, uh, never know what you. A lot of times, too, I live by the adages in the scripture where it says, um, "Don't let your your right hand know what your left hand is doing." I think is is the. Uh, first you know yeah hey i hear you ross uh thank you i appreciate that you know that reminds me one time this is years ago i um i think i might have even been an intern at this radio station and i was going i believe to mcdonald's to pick up food for for curtis and ron i think and if i remember correctly and um two panhandlers were outside of the mcdonald's so i pick up the food and they said, hey, you know, can you spare any change? And I only had 10 cents on me. I mean, that was the only change I had left. And I gave her the the 10 cents. It was a couple. And I gave it to either the guy or the woman. But maybe it was 20 cents. But I think it was about 10 cents. 
and she shouts back at me, what are we supposed to get with that? And I said, I'm sorry. That's all I had. Lenny is in the Bronx. Hello, Lenny. Hey, Frank. Happy Friday. Thank you. You know, um, uh, a couple of years ago, I'm on the subway. It was Thanksgiving, and I'm on my way to my job minimum wage janitor, so I'm not in a good mood. And this woman gets up and says, oh, I'm sorry to bother you, but I need money for food. And this is Thanksgiving, you know, on the subway. And I'm just, you know, the streets are flowing with turkey and stuffing in New York City on Thanksgiving. There's soup kitchens and churches everywhere. Well, so what? I don't, I'm not and sure. It's just, it's yeah. just, and it's just. So, in other words, it was not. It was all nonsense about. Oh, I need money for food. You know, you you can't get food in Turkey. I'm giving, and it's just sometimes I give it to the homeless. Sometimes when they wear me out, like if I've had a half a dozen of them, you know, and I said no, and then finally I get tired, and I'll give them something, but. You know, they a lot of them choose that way of life. You know, they they want to. You know, they, they, they've right want to right live like regular people. Right. You know, not right. to sound harsh or anything. You know. Yeah. No, I think and you're they right. Just wear me out, and and I get tired of it sometimes, and I'll just I'll give them something just to leave me alone, and then I do sometimes what the other guy said: put my headphones on and just keep walking. You know, and it's but it's a big problem every day in the subway and everywhere. They're all over the place. Yeah. No. It, oh, please. It's worse than ever. Thank you uh, very much there, uh, Lenny. You know, my mom just sent me an SMS text message. Several, she says several panhandlers are at the gas station near work asking for money. Some of us buy food like a sandwich and give it to them. And it's often left near the trash unopened since that's not really what they wanted. See, that's exactly my view. That's exactly why I've often not given money to panhandlers. Because I I feel like it's money that's only used to buy booze or drugs. You know? Uh, But, again, maybe Jim Vandehei's wife, Autumn, is right. Better to err on the side of helping a hungry person eat, even if that means helping somebody buy liquor. I don't know. 800-848-WABC. Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Hey, how you doing? I got a really funny story for you. Um, A friend of mine, he's about 10 years older than me, a friend from church, and one day he challenged me. He said, he goes, you know, 10 years goes by quick. You know, you look back at your life, see what you've done with it. And by him saying that, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go make a bunch of sandwiches. And go down to New York City and then just hand them out, you know, like on the street or whatever. So uh, I did that. And what happened was I was in a subway and there was a person who kind of made this speech as we're in the subway uh, train and just says, you know, I don't have any, I don't have anything. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please give me money, blah, blah, blah. And so the person did their spiel and some people did, some people didn't. Well, when the train cleared out, the person was just there with me, and I said to him, hey, um, I actually have a bunch of sandwiches. Would you like, you know, a sandwich? And he says, 
No, 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 no. I just want money. <laughs> I just said, you know what? <laughs> Unbelievable, right? See, I wonder, what does he spend that money on? I know some people have made a good living panhandling. Um, and that's the thing is, I don't really want to add to that. I mean, that's sort of my my dilemma that I'm in. But that's an interesting uh, story there, Sean. An interesting anecdote. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in Manhattan. Hello, Mike. I don't. So uh, this will be, I guess, like the mirror world here. I have been like sitting, let's say, at a bus stop sometime, and people will stop, reach into their pocket, and hand me money. You kidding? Like a dollar. Is it? Now I, I wish. Like the first time it happened, I was just stunned, and I, well, I, I took it anyway. I put it in my pocket. I, like I'm slightly older. I have long hair and a beard, and now I work with two canes. I always had like a limp. So I guess I thought there's this poor, unfortunate man here. You're like, you know, he needs. And somebody, I'd be like, kind of looking up at them. I didn't say anything to him, but I'd look up. It's oh, she's really hot. A couple of were we like model types, You're like like beautiful women. I'm like, wow, she's really hot. Well, like, maybe you can ask for a date sweet. instead of a dollar. <laughs> I think I'll take whatever they give me. They give me a dollar. Give me a dollar. One time, like of all things, like sometimes I perform at theaters on the Bowery, any you know, the Bowery, and uh, there was some religious group, and I and I walked past and I said. Can we help you? And it was like this, they were all like they're teenagers from like the Midwest, and like you know, and they were handing out like you know, uh, like kinds of care packages to the homeless, and and it was like toiletries. They offered to me, like, can we pray for you? You know, kind of thing. I was like, sure. Yeah. So I realized that you don't say no to them. If they, they feel better if you. you like, I mean, sometimes I needed a dollar, and it didn't happen one or two times. It happened a number of times. The first time, it's shocking. I still took the dollar. But after all, I said, oh, it's another person who feels that they must, I don't know, unburden, a burden of guilt or charity or some sort of feeling. And I, I guess maybe I look like an homeless guy. I don't know. But that that happened. Uh, another corollary was I had a, I had a, like a, let's say, a acrimonious relationship with one of my girlfriends. And mm-hmm. I had a book that I wrote at the time. And I was called Hand Selling. I would sell it, you know, like on subways and like I would sell it on the street, you know, that kind of thing. It was uh, like a self-published book of uh, writings. So, you know, she goes to this, oh, you know, you sell your book on a, on a subway? And I go, yeah. And she goes, that makes you a panhandler, doesn't it? I said, what do you mean? Well, you beg for money on the subway, don't you? I said, well, it's the money for a book. You know, this is, this is well, that makes you still a panhandler. You're not going to beggar. I said, well, I'm going to use the, the platforms. Oh, so though you like to have sexual intercourse with beggars and panhandlers because that must be a turn-on to you because you're, you're with me. I mean, what does it say about you that you are involved in a relationship with a begging panhandler? What does it say about you? But this is like, I'm usually the recipient of money and gifts and things like that from people. I saw a lot of books on the, on the subway, too. So. Well, hey, I, uh, I, I don't doubt it. All right, Mike. Well, if I, if I see you soon, I'll uh, try and have some cash on me. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, Frank. We meet again, Frank. Wonderful. So I got a few things. I'll do it real quick with you. The first thing I uh, was with the late is uh, kind of like stalking you. Mm-hmm. So I know uh, the most important thing to you is your child. So the other uh, person I was telling you, be careful because they you don't know to what degree they'll go to. And I know that firsthand because I remember when my twins were born, Nick and Alex. I was in Atlantic City pushing them. People would come up to me and say, oh, look out, you get away. Get away. I, I mean, I was very protective, whether it was wrong or right. 
because I feel an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. So if I told you, if you close the door, you won't catch cancer, what would you do? You close the door. That's my recommendation. Close the uh-huh. door because nothing but a cancer. So now, as far as homeless people and asking for money, I always give money, but not only the people that I choose to give it to. So in other words, someone will come approach me. If they try to act intimidating, I pay them no mind. But if I see a lady sitting there, I look at her, I give her $20. Really? If I see some, yeah, really. And if I see a dog with somebody. See, yeah, the dog always gets me. Gets me, too. And I tell him, listen, I'm giving you this money. Make sure you feed the dog before you feed yourself. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. And you could tell that the dogs that are well-behaved, they're not being abused. Right. So, so, so I have a criteria that I follow. And I never, ever give money near one of my customers. Because all you're doing is you're creating a situation that every night, They'll be there waiting for you and uh, because they know that you're going making deliveries. So, and that's, that's how I, I live my life. And well, if somebody's drinking with the money, I believe in what that person said. So what? Uh, I'd rather give it to them. I'd rather make 10 mistakes and then make one good decision. Someone that uses the money to feed food. Yeah, no, I hear you, Al. Hey, uh, it's very interesting. Hey, that's funny. Your, your twins are named Nick and Alex. Those are my brother's names. You know, I heard you say that. That's funny. And my name is Alex, and my brother's name is Nick. Oh, that's Nick funny. Is like your last caller. No Franks the, in the family, uh, though. No Franks. No Franks. Ah, no. well, nobody's perfect. So, um, all right. Take sandwiches and bring them into the city. I said absolutely not. You know, when I go past somebody and I say to me, "You want a loaf of bread?" If they tell me no, I keep going. If they say yes, I'll give them a five dollar bill with it. Say, "Yeah, go go get something to put on the bread." Oh, that's well. That's very. Uh, that's a great philosophy, Al. It sounds like you got it. You got it figured out there. You know, another woman just emailed me and said on the panhandling subject, "Why use the word panhandler? Everyone who asks for money may be homeless, very unable to function, or in a depressed state. Panhandler is a word with a negative connotation. Why assume they want to buy drugs, booze?" or there was a punctuation error, any one of us could end up on the streets. Everyone has a life. Everyone on the streets is you and me, a fan and a senior, Gloria. So, I mean, I guess she's saying you should give them money. I guess that's what she's saying. Sam's in Queens. Hello, Sam. Hi, how you doing? Good. About the uh, the homeless and uh, the panhandlers, I work for an agency, and, you know, there's a lot of money given for uh, food stamps and homes, and uh, to give money to them is just uh, enabling them to to continue to do that i mean uh they, they do get food stamps and uh i know that they uh they sell their food stamps for money and to give them money is just to encourage them more to uh to do the things that they're not that you know that they're that they're addicted to drugs or alcohol and i don't think it's a good idea well to, that's always been my view and so you're as somebody that sounds like you have some experience with this your advice would be don't give the money right don't because the government gives them a lot and like the other caller, there are food kitchens, there are there are uh, pantries and stuff. I see lines of people with shopping carts that they, they 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 just give food away. So it's better not to give them the money because there are places that they can get food for free for nothing. And it's just uh it's just it just enables them to to continue to do that to harass people. And you know I don't give I give to charities 
but I don't give directly to the person because I'd rather see them off it and uh, for them to realize that that's not the life to be mm-hmm. to be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Sam, that's basically my philosophy in a nutshell. But reading this Jim Vandehigh article has me rethinking that a little bit. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm still a little undecided. But uh, let me say hello to Michael in Connecticut. Hello, Michael. Hey, Frank, how are you? Great. Well, listen, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, stay away from that lady. No no matter what, it's always better to err on the side of missed opportunity. Okay, let it just still down the road. Uh, let the wheat and chaff fall away from each other and just uh, use the time you got, you know, better. And don't even, like, look the other way. Just really? Like the past couple of callers have said, absolutely. Okay. Um, I've heard so many times, and I've seen just firsthand how many crazy things people can do and say, and it's just too many school shootings and things going on. And it's just one of those things. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, Michael, uh, it makes sense. Again, um, I think Tony, who actually does sound like he suffers from bipolar disorder, then uh, I think he might be the the fella that I'm leaning towards on this one. Uh, let me say hello to Rob on Long Island. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi. hi uh, Frank. Um, Frank. Frank. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's gonna sound, this is going to sound crazy, but, you know, I, I have all that stuff, bipolar mm-hmm. and this and that. And you know what? It, it, it's going to sound crazy, but a good tune-up, man. It, it, it works wonders. What, what do you mean a tune-up? In terms of medication or something? No, no, no. No, a, a, a good a good beating. Uh, well, I'm not going to beat her. No, I'm not, not. I'm not talking about the woman. I'm talking about uh, no, 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 not the woman. Uh, no, I would never suggest that. Well, so who should I be beating up? A man. But wh- which man? Not the, not the woman. I'm not suggesting that a, a man should ever. Right, right. Uh, but what? What man? Ever. What man? All right, Rob. Thank you. It's 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 easier to get answers about pizza from Avery. By the way, um, speaking of uh, speaking of pizza, um, let me amend what I said before. Uh, Tommy Russo commenting in the Facebook group on the I mentioned earlier. And, and again, this is the perils of commenting on legal cases that took place 13 years ago. Tommy Russo writes, Frank, he wasn't killed is about the pizza. He got slapped around at a sit down. He was the guy that had the pizza place next to Joe's Lobster House called The Square. Yeah, I'm very familiar with The Square. Uh, there are several squares on uh, Staten Island. That was the Francis B.F. Guerra case. It's fair enough. All right, let me take one more call here, and then we'll move on to the $1,000 minute. Let me say hello to David in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Good morning. Um, I was in a homeless shelter for three years, and uh, I can tell you from experience, you know, a lot of these guys are – uh, dropped off at the shelter directly from prison. They're drug addicts or alcoholics, and they go out every day to beg for money. People should not give to these people. It's going straight into the hands of a drug dealer or a liquor store. And I don't mean to sound cruel, but, you know, like the guy said before, these people are getting hundreds of dollars every month in food stamps. 
and they're getting fed every day at the shelter. So it's all a scam. So as someone that actually lives in a homeless shelter, you would say if you see streeted homeless and they're begging for money, don't give them any. It's highly unlikely that they actually are using it for food. I would say 95% of this is going directly for drugs and alcohol. Interesting. All right, David, thank you for the call. By the way, I'm still trying to become the next host of the Late Late Show. And uh, we would ask that you tag, you know, uh, if you're going to tweet about that, use the hashtag Late Late Frank Frank. Hashtag Late Late Frank Frank. And uh, hopefully people see that. You could tag the Late Late Show. Uh, Somebody else said he tagged one of the producers over at the Late Late Show. I'm not even sure who you tag these days. Not even sure who's making those decisions currently over at CBS, um, you know. But uh, it couldn't hurt to tag the Late Late Show and use the hashtag Late Late Frank Frank. All right, um, and my Twitter, by the way, if you want to tag me, is Frank Moreno. That's Frank M O R A N O. We're going to give you an opportunity to win a thousand dollars next. If you're homeless, listen up carefully, or even if you're not, but would like a thousand dollars. If you are the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC, then we are going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 by answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Go ahead and call right now, 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Here comes the weekend, Dave Edmonds. You know, um, Dave Herman was for many years the uh, a, a DJ on WNEW here in New York, and they um, they would every Friday play this song, and you knew that it was time for the weekend to begin. Now. Back in 2013, as I, if I recall correctly, Dave Herman was arrested on child porn charges. So hopefully it turns out better for us. I don't see how that should be a reflection on the song, though. We'll still play it. It is a great weekend anthem, isn't it? All right. Um, without further ado, it is time for one lucky, lucky person to try and win $1,000. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. 
Our contestant today is Anthony in Edison. Hello, Anthony. Hey, good morning, Frank. Anthony, uh, you're familiar with the game, right? Yes. Okay, Anthony. All right. Um, so if you get a question right, uh, we're going to move right on to the next one. And if you don't, then um, then you don't. All right. Um, the, now, the second question is a little tricky. I think it might be a little high on the list. So uh, that's the only one I think you have to worry about. The rest of them are pretty easy, okay? Okay. All right. Uh, you ready to go? Yeah. Okay. What is six minus one? Five. In what language was Don Quixote written originally? Spanish. What is the rarest blood type? Uh, O negative? Mm, No, no. It's AB negative. AB negative. I'm sorry. All right. Anthony, I'm putting you on hold. We're going to give you some swag. Give uh, Avery Brooks your, your information, please. And we will send you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight T-shirt. By the way, I bought <laughs> I bought another Other Side of Midnight um, shirt yesterday. We can't help. I can't help myself. Avery, just grab Anthony's information, if you would, please. Um, I... I there's so much great stuff in the WABC radio store that I bought and they offered us, I shouldn't say this, but they offered us a special employee discount. So we get an even bigger discount now. And they were very strict. You can't give it out to anybody, even family members, you know, whatever. But um, I can't help. There's so much cool stuff in the WABC radio store. You could check it out at uh, WABCRadioStore.com. And there's great stuff from Bernie and Sid, from Bill O'Reilly, from Curtis, from me, uh, Joan Hamburg, John Katzimatidis, Dominic Carter, whoever your favorite host is. It's all available at WABCRadioStore.com. There, for me, you got a, an adjustable hat, a unisex T-shirt, um, a unisex sweatshirt, a white glossy mug, a glossy mug with an alien on it that says the other side of midnight. How cool is that? A hat with the alien on it. There's all sorts of great stuff here. So uh, if you want to take advantage of any of it, go to WABCRadioStore.com, search, you know, you don't even search, just click on personalities, I'm right there. And then whatever you buy, even if you buy stuff from the other hosts, if you use the discount code FRANK15, then you will get to enjoy a um, complimentary, not complimentary, but you'll enjoy a 15% discount. You know, I, I, as you know... I'm on a one-man mission to make terrestrial radio cool again, okay? And I want to see the hipsters, the Generation Zers, and the millennials bring listening to terrestrial radio the way they listen to vinyl records. And so what I am asking is not only should you buy one of these Other Side of Midnight shirts for yourself, you should buy one for a Generation Zer. Or a millennial in your life. Even even if you have to just kind of, you know how you go to a ball game, especially a minor league game, and I would have loved to have asked Gary Perone about this had he not slept through our interview earlier. But um, you go to a ball game and they have these guys that shoot the T-shirts into the stands. I think it would be great if you got one of those T-shirt guns, loaded it up with a bunch of other side of midnight T-shirts, and just went to all the hipster areas and started shooting these T-shirts Write it to the hipsters. 
in Hoboken, in Astoria, in Williamsburg, in Park Slope. Well worth it. So buy one for yourself, buy one for the hipster in your life to help me in my mission. Uh, my other mission, of course, is I'm trying to become the host of The Late Late Show. You can um, you can tweet at hashtag Late Late Frank Frank, uh, or you can just retweet the tweet that I put out on that subject. So far, doesn't seem like there's exactly a groundswell. And uh, by the way, our caption contest with our photo of uh, Judge Pirro and Governor Patterson, which you could see on on Twitter at Frank Morano, I really think the best tweet on that has to go to our friend O.B. Murray, who is a noted uh, political consultant and crisis communications professional. There were some clever captions on it, uh, but I'll tell you the one that I think I think wins it. Uh, it's this O.B. Murray tweet. There were several good ones, but I think uh, – I don't like – can't pull it up now. Um, well, I, I'll tell you about it in a – I'll tell you about it in just uh, – a bit. But um, anyway, Mike in New Rochelle has been patiently holding. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I, I called to, uh, well, for one thing, you and I are due for an off-the-air phone conversation, so whenever you're ready, let me know. But uh, as far as that, that chick you're talking about, she did you a favor to advertise that she's a nut this early on in a relationship. Now, it's better that now to find out than like maybe six months from now where it's even harder to get away from her. But I would try to do everything to avoid her because I dated two girls that sounded similar to this, and they, they just can't get it into their head. You know, you have a wife and a child to worry about. You can't be concerning yourself every time you hang out with them if they're going to turn into a, a whack job, you know? Right. Well, I hear that, Mike. I hear that. Thank you. Did, I appreciate it. Did you ever see the movie um, uh, Play Misty for me? Yeah, well, I, was just, I, I gave a whole explanation of Play Misty for me uh, uh, an hour ago. I, I, I might have been in the shower. I, I, I was waiting to hear that. I, I sent you the thing. It sounds just like that without the, the sex and all that. That's right. That's right. Um, but, um, yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so this is what O.B. Murray tweeted. There were some good tweets. John Scandalio's tweets, the left, the right, and the other side of midnight. That's clever. That's this photo with Judge Pirro and Governor Patterson. Neil from Staten Island tweets, a little, a little perverse. Uh, she's smiling because they both got a hand on each cheek. That's eh, it's not hat worthy. And Ob Murray writes two great New Yorkers, great histories with terrific success after elected office. Frank Morano, where does that leave you? Or would I be better off just asking which one doesn't belong? So I thought that was pretty clever. So I think we're going to give Ob Murray the. Uh, the, the other side of midnight prize for the caption contest on that. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. This is um, the other side of midnight, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC.
So we have... Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. We uh, we do have Carmine's christening on Sunday, which I'm looking forward to. And, um, you know, this way he won't have, be stuck in limbo if he uh, ends up dying before he's baptized. God forbid. Uh, but um, there's a friend of mine who has a video and photography business, and he's a very close friend. We go back. I used to work for him for, for about four or five years and uh, we go back many years, very close friend. In fact, he actually happens to be married to Rachel's cousin. But I didn't know that. Uh, I was friends with him prior to that. And Rachel didn't even know this was her cousin. It's, it's a long story. But then um, he's not able to make the, the christening on Sunday. But he said, you know, as a gift, we would really like to hire a photographer that we work with to come down and take pictures. And so I mentioned this to Rachel Rachel essentially said, no, I'll spare you all her reasons, you know, but it was basically one. She thought it would be a little too obtrusive Two, she feels like it's not really in keeping with the spirit of a religious ceremony like that. And she just wants to take, you know, pictures privately among the people that come. But uh, and I told Dennis this, you know, I, I politely said, no, thank you. But he's almost insistent upon us taking this. And I, I feel bad because I could tell that he really wants to do something nice here. But, um, you know, I don't really want to make this my cause. I mean, you have to choose your battles carefully in marriage, I've noticed. And this is not a battle that I want to wage. So I, I'm going to try and talk to Dennis again today. I'm not really sure how to. Uh, you know, I, and you notice all my problems come down to not being able to say no to people. You notice that? And if I'm ever indicted for something, it will be for this, for not being able to say no to someone. It, somebody's going to be talking about like a criminal conspiracy or something, a conspiracy to exploit the campaign finance matching fund system or something like that, and, or forge signatures or something to get somebody on the ballot. And I'm just going to nod. And then, you know, worry about the consequences of it later. And then, of course, that'll be an undercover agent and my nodding will be agreeing to the conspiracy. So uh, I'm not sure how to handle that that Dennis situation. If you have a, a suggestion on that, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. A fellow just emailed me. Ernest says he, he, he gave me his email address a couple of months ago and he hasn't been getting emails. I haven't really been sending out many emails. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try and get back in the groove of sending more emails out. And uh, I will I will work on that. So hopefully I'll get an email out this Sunday and Monday. You know, it's funny. It's just there's such a battle between I have su- such a finite amount of time. And do I use the time to promote or to plan? And I usually err on the side of planning the show rather than promoting the show. Like yesterday, for instance, we did a very newsmaking interview with Tom Swazi for a bunch of reasons. Got compliments on that from a bunch of people, including my buddy uh, Al Gatula. And then, we you know, I pretty much, other than Bernie and Sid were kind enough to play it. And other than that, I really didn't have a chance to get it out there to any news outlets or anything, even though I do think it could have made news because I was so busy preparing for today's show. So email is the same thing. It's just a form of, of promotion. All right. Without further ado, it's time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Roger is in Massachusetts. 
Yeah, you know, my dad uh, had something he would always say about baldness. He said, grass don't grow on a busy street. <laughs> Ray in Raritan. Yeah, Frank, you seem like a real nice guy. You need to get rid of the criminals and the women. You got a son now. That's it. Son and wife. That's it. Thank you. Peter in Manhattan. Hey, Eric Adams, remember, rent guidelines are coming up, and you know where you come from. Thank you. Al in Manhattan. Al, I can't hear you. Mike in Montclair. Good morning, Frank. Frank, my great-grandparents were on the Titanic, and on their way to the lifeboats, my grandfather realized his tie didn't match the life jacket, so he went back to the room. Have a better weekend than he did. (laughs) 800-848-WABC. Peter is in New Jersey. Google a Charles Campbell shooting and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Charles Campbell shooting and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Jeanine Pierce, a criminal and a fraud who sent an innocent New York cop to prison at Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Uh, Peter, be sure to check out that photo of Jeanine Pierre and I on Twitter, at Frank Moreno. Doug is in Manhattan. Uh, a friend tried to give a bag of food to a homeless person. She looked at the bag and said, McDonald's, they have lousy coffee. Fred in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, the other day I went to the pet store and asked if he had a chinchilla. So he goes in the back room, comes out with a bowl of ice water, and jams my noggin in it. Oh, okay. That's kind of funny. That's kind of funny. Janes in New York. Hello, Janes. Frank, why in a marriage you always hear the man say, I have to pick my battles? You never hear the woman say it. Can you explain that? Uh, That's a subject for a different show, but believe me, Rachel does her fair share of battle picking. Believe me. Jeremiah in the Bronx. Hello. Yeah, there's been a high rate of suicides in the in the U- U.S. Navy. What the hell? What's going on? What the hell is that all about? You know, it's a, a great point, and an organization that I'm very involved in, the Gold Shield, is all about stopping that. Uh, you can go to the simpletruth.us to find out more about the Gold Shield. Jimmy is in Queens. Sins a moron, sins a moron. And finally, Anthony and Edison. Yes, Frank, uh, and have a good uh, ceremony there and with uh, little Carmine's baptism. It's a nice ceremony and all, but I'm a Reformed Catholic, and I know he's, as of right now, he will not end up in limbo if anything were to happen. Thank so. you, Ed- uh, thank you, Anthony. Yeah, well, we're, it's a Methodist ceremony anyway, so it's, the, it's a bunch of Reformed Catholics among the Methodists. This is a lot of fun. You want to stay in touch, follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Uh, the WABC Early News with Deb Valentine is next. Bernie and Sid at 6. Frank Morano, good day.